Some say that the RF Generation Shmup Club is the ultimate podcast for in-depth, community-driven, month-long playthroughs, and they'd be right. On this episode of Shoot the Corecast, we're taking a look at the Lazarus-like Dreamcast release of Ghostblade and the modernized Ghostblade HD, with special guest appearance by yours truly, Ser Flash of Bullet Heaven. Let's take a closer look. Shoot the Corecast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly Shmup-themed podcast that will be the Ken to your space Barbie. From RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, known throughout other parts of the interwebs as the Game Boy Guru. And as always, my co-pilot on this journey is... Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups. And today we have a Player 3. And that is none other than Sarah Flash of Studio Mudprints, uh, of course known for the Bullet Heaven series of videos and now the new STG Chronicles series that he's doing there on YouTube. How's it going? Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, as always, RF Generation is the place to be, uh, rfgeneration.com. Uh, it's free to sign up and you can come join us for the Shmup Club. There's also the regular community playthrough that is hosted by Single Banana and Grey Ghost 81. We have a huge database of games so you can track your collection and create wish lists and for sale or for trade lists and um, lots of cool stuff at the website. Plus, Addicted and I also write articles and share content on the front page. So make sure you go check it out, rfgeneration.com. Uh, also, um, the, uh, oh yeah, that's right. We're, we're also doing the, uh, NES challenge, 2019 NES challenge, where the members of our generation are attempting to play through and beat or reach a, I guess a completion level, if you will, of every licensed North American NES games. Of course, some games you can't beat, but there's a certain score or a certain, uh, you know, completion kind of level that you can get to with some of the games. And at this point, we are over halfway there. So we are in the uh, back stretch, if you will, now that we're in July, and still hoping to reach that goal by the end of the year. So if you're a fan of the NES and you want to scratch a few games off of your backlog or revisit a few old favorites, come check us out. Once again, rfgeneration.com. Ah, so... The game that we played during the month of June is Ghostblade uh, for the Dreamcast and, of course, the updated Ghostblade HD, which has been available on Wii U, Xbox One, PS4, and PC via Steam. Uh, Addicted, you want to tell us who the participants were for the month? Sure. We had Metal Fro, Addicted, Zoido, the infamous Vic Viper Mark II, Christapt76, Dingo, and Brandon Guerrera97. Yes, and uh, 
Correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, but you uh, you streamed this at least once during the month. Am I am I right in remembering that? I did. Yeah, I got okay. a little frustrated with the <laughs> the Tate mode on the Dreamcast. Oh right. Yes. Well, it's it's a little janky, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, so before we kind of jump into the game here, I threw a question out on Twitter, and uh, yes, we are completely plagiarizing the uh, the RF Generation Playcast in this, but I, I kind of like their idea of a question of the month, and so I've been doing this and throwing this out there. And so earlier this evening, I asked, "What aspects of the genre make a shmup difficult for you?" And we got three responses. And so Mark MSX says, I struggled the most with optimized routing. I tend to try and force my own routes that are usually much harder than they need to be. And now, of course, Mark is really into cave games and Dodonpachi and, and so forth. And so that really comes into play with those kinds of shoot 'em ups At Sarathums on Twitter says... Sometimes when there are too many options like shot type, ship type, and excuse me, and bomb type, or mid-game when there are lasers, bullets, or homing weapons available, and I never know what to use. Not in games such as Xevious. Um, and so sounds like uh, Sarathums tends to lean more toward old school shoot 'em ups because some of the some of the newer ones maybe have too many options or there's too much going on. And uh, at Steven Eider, uh, who those of you who also listen to the Playcast will be familiar with, he says how much work it is to play and how cluttered the screen becomes. And uh, there are certainly a lot of shoot 'em ups where that uh, it can be the case. What about you guys? Um, any thoughts on that? What what aspects of of shmups are difficult for you? <clears throat> uh, for me, anyways, uh, the hardest shoot 'em ups are the ones that try uh, maybe a little too hard to be hard for hardness sake. <laughs> mm. uh, the ones that throw like impossibly fast stuff at the player, stuff that humans don't actually have re reflexes for. Um, a lot of Psycho games, for example, are infamous for this. Uh, the Psycho fast bullets are sometimes on the screen for one single frame. <laughs> so it's actually possible for your ship to clip the bullet path. Hmm. But all too often, it's just it's way too hard to get out of the way. So, yeah, I'd say like, uh, yeah, especially in the case of games that have uh, bullets that are too fast to avoid, uh, you know, just for being hard, hard for hardness sake. That's what what makes it difficult for me. Sure. What about you, Addicted? What do you think? I would have to say games that require memorization or in, in some form of ESP in order to actually <laughs> get further with it. Yeah. You know, we well, our type is a lot like that. And then you get with uh, Gradius 3, you know, uh, from mild frustration to utter rage, the, especially the arcade version really just hits you on with memorization. And it's something that, as I said, I've been trying to get back to, but every time it, it well... I can't say it here, but it really annoys me. But I keep doing it. Right. You know, I think I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention so uh, stuff like Deep Blue, <laughs> where it's just kind of janky and, and kind of ridiculous. And it sort of falls within what I said earlier. Uh, Deep Blue was, you know, 
not great at the best of times, but I mean, for every power up that you picked up, if you got hit, which was frequently, you lost every power up that you got. So yeah, uh, it just kind of added to the kind of frustration that I think Addicted is talking about there too. Yeah, yeah, I I can definitely identify with both of both of those things and some of what uh, some of what the the other contributors mentioned. For me, some of it is games like R-Type and Gradius where your ship is just too slow. You know, your default speed is too slow to avoid anything. Or, in the reverse, when your default speed is too fast. Or, picking up more than one speed-up icon makes your ship way too fast, and then you crash into everything. You sound like you're talking about Rock On. Well... <laughs> I, I haven't. Game. <laughs> I, I haven't played much of that, but um, but I've played enough games where, and this is, I guess, more more so older shoot 'em ups where you pick up one speed up icon and that's good enough, and then you get bombarded with them because plenty of enemies or or power up ships drop them off, and so then it then it's a game of not only dodging bullets and enemies but also dodging speed up icons. Because as soon as you have two or three, uh, unless you're just tapping the joystick or, or D-pad or whatever you're using to control your ship to, to do all your movements, you're going to run into stuff. Yeah, sometimes even tapping is just not enough. Like, yeah. Right. You'd almost have to, I don't know, you'd almost have to program uh, like a limiter to the button input. Right, something like that. Uh, so in, in terms of old school shoot 'em ups, that's that's one of my frustrations. I, I'm definitely with you on the psycho thing, and uh, um, I'm I'm feeling that right now, um, which, which we'll talk about in the uh, in a not so distant future episode. But uh, in terms of in terms of more modern shoot 'em ups, I guess. You know, talking specifically about Bullet Hell and Danmaku games, one of the things that frustrates me is even though the games are short, you have to really play them a lot in order to get good enough to reach kind of the, the final level or the true last boss. And a lot of these games, the, the hitbox of your ship, even when it's well-defined... It, it's not always. It doesn't always feel like it's like it's uh, accurate, or you know, people talk about the hitboxes of bullets, and so you know the the some of the bullets and some of the projectiles. The entire projectile is not th actually dangerous to you if 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 it's not say the center of it that's connecting with your hitbox. But it's not always easy to see that. And when you have these dense bullet patterns, and I'm thinking specifically of games like Dodonpachi or Umushi Himesama and stuff like that, <clears throat> where um, where you have these really dense bullet patterns. And I guess maybe it's just that I'm not used to it yet, or I'm not used to the idea that this tiny hitbox that I have can weave through these giant projectiles that it's throwing at me and even though it looks like it 
it's hitting my ship. It's really not. I mean, that's 100% legitimate. Um, that was one of my grievances with Dodampachi Saidaiojo uh, on the 360. Coming hot off the heels of Daifukatsu, where you could actually go through pretty dense bullets and not get hit. The same bullet pattern with the same hitbox would get you killed in Saidaiojo. Huh. So it does vary from game to game. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's just, it, it's it's hard to judge. And then there's, for me, there's always that sort of panic factor that comes into play when I'm working on a game like this and I see a giant dense bullet pattern and I'm like, I can't macro dodge it because it's too wide and it comes down the screen too quickly for me to get around it. So I've got to weave through it, but nano dodging <laughs> yeah i mean my 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 tap ability is not my my tap game isn't strong i'll say and then my uh also then that panic thing sets in and i'm like oh no oh no oh crap what am i doing and then you know i'm and then i did so that that's just kind of what happens to me Alrighty. Well, let's kind of jump in here. Um, Addicted, would you like to give us a brief intro on uh, Ghost Blade and its developer? Sure. It's developed and published by HueCast Games and released for the Dreamcast in 2015. HueCast Games released their first Dreamcast game in 2009, an R-Type homage shooter called Ducks. Ducks was criticized for a couple of different issues, so HueCast retooled the game, improved the graphics, and later released it as Ducks 1.5. A sequel, Redux Dark Matters, which I definitely want to try, I've been hearing some really good version of Ducks, followed later, which was generally well received. In addition to being known for their shoot-em-ups, they also released Alice's Mom's Rescue, it's a 16-bit style platformer starring the, char- the title character. They also released a couple games created by developer Onion called Encelar and Philia, both most mislike first-person adventure games that started out on the PC. Uh, out of all the ones that we've tried on here, <clears throat> look on here, Ducks seems the most interesting. Have either of you tried Ducks yet? Yes. Um, I'd also like to add, too, that um, the uh, the differences between the original Ducks and Ducks 1.5 are more than just um, enhancements and retools of the the actual gameplay. They've also they they've also got completely different soundtracks as well. So they actually did do more to the game than just uh, balancing it a bit better. Um, there is actually another version of Ducks called Ducks 1.1. Um, and it was released after 1.5. It retains everything that made Ducks 1.0 more difficult, but with the Ducks 1.5 soundtrack. Hmm. Cool. Well, I have I have Ducks 1.5, but I haven't played it yet because um, I I just got it when I uh, I got that with Ghostblade in the mail at the same time, and of course we were focusing on Ghostblade, so I haven't really had a chance to mess with it yet. Alright, so the original soundtrack for Ghostblade was by Raphael Dill, with the newly composed alternate soundtrack by, well, none other than Sir Flash of Studio Mudprints for the HD re-release, which (laughs) came out in 2017, and I've heard rumors that the remix soundtrack's better. 
Ghostblade has received multiple print runs, most recently from Josh Prod, exclusive to PlayAsia, in a standard HD print on PS4. Also, we've been hearing rumors that there's a Switch version in the works, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, actually, that's confirmed. Um, I believe that PlayAsia already announced that it should be coming sometime this year. And HueCast actually spoke with me on the matter. They were aiming for a June launch, but I think there was some issues in the porting process. But we should see it soon. Cool. So since PlayAsia is involved, that must mean there's a physical version coming. Yes. Yeah. Neat. No, no word on the actual dates for the physical, though, but it should be fairly soonish. I imagine sometime this year. Rock on. Sounds good to me. No, I'm not playing Rock on. Come on. <laughs> Dearly departed. Uh, Sorry, dearly departed. <laughs> that uh, game, oh my God. We got to cover that game one time just for the <laughs> bad. Believe. It's got it for the lols. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can do a Kusage month and talk about that one. Oh, that'd be cool, Kusage. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Speaking of craziness, would someone like to start us off with a story? Sure. 10,000 years ago, an artificial intelligence known as Shira was built to protect the residents of Mars. As time passed, the AI became corrupted, and Shira started to attack the Mars colonies. With no way to defend itself against evil Shira, Mars calls for help. The Earth Defense Force fleet fights its way to Evil Shira and uses its powerful lasers to destroy it. However, Evil Shira secretly had a backup that flees into space and takes over an abandoned space station at the outskirts of the solar system. When the EDF notices the escape, they send their bravest fighter after Evil Shira. You are this pilot, and your mission is to destroy Evil Shira before it can complete its new attack force and threaten the existence of the entire universe. You do not know how hard it was for me not to chant EDF. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I, I was thinking it the whole time because, you know, just thinking about, well, I mean, there were multiple things going on in here because, first of all, how many times do you have to say evil Shira during that description? In quotations. Uh, in quotations. Also, not say something about He-Man. Uh, and then, of course, the Earth Defense Force, you know, EDF, EDF. EDF. So, <laughs> that one guy. <laughs> like, if you get a big crowd, they really go at it, right? But mm. there's always that one guy in the background. He's like, EDF. <laughs> the best. <laughs> Just the best. <laughs> he's like the he's like the guy at concerts that that you know the one guy at the back of every concert that always yells "Free Bird." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where are the giant insects? Where are the ants in this game? Yeah, you know, I I'm guessing they didn't have the budget for it. Oh, that's all right. <clears throat> there, it's it's definitely one of these "you are our only hope" type situations on here. I mean, the the yeah. backstory of Gradius is just. About as ludicrous, and it's still a fun time. If you want giant ants, that's what Wing Diver the Shooter is for. Ah, oh, there you go. All right, there's another one for coming up in 2020. Nah. All right. So, we should probably jump into some basics of the gameplay here. All right. As we've alluded to uh, at the beginning of the podcast, um, there are, well... 
space Barbies, but, you know, there are the three pilots that have the three different ships that you can choose from. Uh, and so the default ship, when you first boot the game up, is called the Ghostblade Spectre 3, um, which, of course, is where the game gets its name. The pilot is Stella. Uh, it is a Stella. medium... <laughs> yes. uh, the pilot is a medium speed uh, excuse me, the ship is medium speed and it has a spread shot as its default and then um, its focused shot is actually I think the widest of all three of the ships uh, then you have the Rekka Unit 1 uh, it is piloted by Rika uh, and so that was a little uh bit of connective tissue there. Uh, also medium speed ship. It has a wide shot that's not quite as wide as the spread, um, but it does give your your ship more of a, you know, destructive path, so to speak. And then a focus shot, which is um, not quite as wide as the, as the Ghostblade Spectre 3, but is pretty decent. And then you have the Milan V1, which is piloted by Mimi, it is the fastest ship, and its regular shot is, is quite narrow, and once you power it up, it only sends a couple of beams off in sort of a 30-degree angle. Um, so it doesn't give you a lot of additional power, uh, but then its focus shot is really fast. This is the tiny one, right? The tiny little ship? The green one? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so um, the, the focus shot is very fast and does a quite a bit of damage. Um, so which of these three ships did you guys uh, kind of gravitate to? Well, I went with the Ghostblade for most of the stuff because I was playing on hard and have, having the biggest amount of spread was easy enough to switch in between to take out the popcorn enemies and then deal with the larger enemies by doing a focus shot on there. The Rekka did a pretty good job on there, but the if you the Milan there is terrible for hard mode because in order to get that powered up enough that you actually can do some damage to the bosses, you had to be extremely quick and extremely fast in your focus shot and your um, dodging. And it, it most of the time I just ended up blowing up with Milan. So most of the stuff I stuck with with the Stella and the Ghostblade because I could easily switch between dealing with popcorn enemies and the larger ships. Yeah, for me, I, uh, I actually stuck with the uh, the Ghostblade Spectre 3 as well, mostly because it uh, emulated the feel of the Type B craft in most Dodanpachi games. Mm. Um, it has a much wider shot, and you can narrow narrow down the beam if you uh, if you need to do focus stuff. Um, so yeah, that's more more or less it. You can you can uh, sort of tap the button to to get around quicker um, while. Uh, navigating the bullet patterns so yeah that, that's more or less where i stuck as well i didn't really use the other two ships at all hmm interesting as i was playing when i started at the beginning of the month playing the dreamcast version i favored the Ghostblade uh ship pretty much right away uh and and i first as I was playing around with the three ships to kind of experiment a little bit, I felt that Milan was sort of like hard mode um, because when you first start, you have to get powered up uh, at least a couple of times before it can do any real serious damage. And so it's difficult to kind of, you know, get through things. But 
in the Dreamcast version, because there's a lot less bullets and less stuff going on on screen, I actually found that the Milan was a better ship for me because of that really fast rate of focus fire. And I actually started um, doing most levels almost exclusively with the focus shot because I could kind of sneak in and out through bullet patterns and stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, then also ramp up my, uh, my orb bonus, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But then, if, you know, the, the hitbox on the Dreamcast version is a little bit larger than actually what it indicates on the ship it should be. And so there are times when that gets a little bit precarious. But that small ship, um, I feel like, is really good to use in the Dreamcast version. But in HD, Milan was very difficult to really get going. And so ultimately I ended up settling on the Ghostblade ship because of same reason you guys said, you know, the wide shot and, you know, it kind of ended up being the, the most, I can't even think of the right word I'm looking for. Just the most convenient for me, I guess. Uh, so just a few, just a few basic things here. Um, when you're firing your primary shot, the ship will move around at its default speed. And then much like uh, a lot of the cave games and other modern Danmaku games, when you are using the focus shot, then your ship slows down. Yeah, I'm on Bullet Heaven, we uh, we usually say that cave rule applies. <laughs> cave ah. rules apply when, when these mechanics are in play. Right. Now, um, one of the differences between the Dreamcast version and the HD version that I noted is in the Dreamcast version, when you activate a bomb, it is completely screen clearing. Uh, it, it's like this wall of flame that goes across or goes from the bottom of the screen to the top and all enemies, all popcorn enemies and all bullets are gone. And then, you know, larger enemies take damage. Uh, and a lot of times, if you've shot them a few times, they're gone too. In the HD version, the bomb acts much more like, say, Raiden or uh, a game like that, where it's more of a f more of an area of effect. Um, it doesn't necessarily destroy all bullets, but when you drop a bomb, you get a few frames of invincibility, and so even if there are still some bullets left over, you can kind of weave through or around them without uh, taking damage, which I thought was a a good move um, instead of, you know, the the type that was used on the Dreamcast. Because I feel like the, the bomb style on the Dreamcast with that total screen clearing, you know, nuke kind of thing, it's so overpowered that it makes you think, why don't they just do that for every stage, you know? <laughs> why don't they just manufacture enough of these bombs that you can go through and just bomb everything? <laughs> So it, it makes a lot more sense in the HD version, I think. Also, I found that the um, <clears throat> the uh, bomber in the Dreamcast version was really disorienting. Like you'd, yes. you'd launch the bomb and you just get this wall of drab brown. And it, when it finally clears, you may not be where you want to be. Right. And it's highly pixelated. So it looks very choppy and, 
it's not very aesthetically pleasing. It also drags down the frame rate because each one of those uh, bits to the smoke is its own sprite. So it basically floods the Dreamcast with too much, too many sprites to handle. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, the the HD version, the bomb is is I think much better suited for a game of this type, and it's also a lot more aesthetically hmm. um, pleasing. Now, some of the uh, some of the enemies when you destroy them will yield. Uh, blue orbs uh, when you're when they're taken out with the focus shot and collecting those will fill up a, a bar or a meter that you have and when that when that meter is full you'll get another bomb now in the dreamcast version that that meter or that bar resets uh, at the end of every stage so if you've got it almost completely full when you beat a boss for example all that progress is gone in when you start the next stage. But they changed that in the HD version to where it just continues to accumulate, which is a nice uh, quality of life upgrade that they did. Uh, and then the uh, larger enemies, when they're destroyed, will result in a bullet-canceling effect, much like uh, many cave games and other modern games like we saw with Crimson Clover, for example, um, here a few months ago. Uh, but the thing is, it's 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 bullet canceling for their shots, uh, and it's not all of their shots. And so some shot types will not cancel. Uh, so for example, some of the enemies will shoot large bullets or large projectiles at you, but then they'll shoot these much smaller pink bullets, uh, and those smaller pink bullets never cancel. Uh, and so there's still a danger if you're trying to point blank them or that kind of a thing. And so be aware of that. Yeah, they'll also, with the larger enemies, uh, <clears throat> on normal and hard mode, when you destroy them, they'll explode into a burst of bullets, usually green or blue. Yes, and the same thing happens in the score attack mode. Uh, a lot of those enemies will will explode into a kind of a ring of bullets that will kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, will just kind of shoot out from the, the you know, radiate out from the, the point of of the explosion. Um, but when, when you do that and you destroy a larger enemy and you get those bullet cancels, then bullets they've put out on the screen will convert to stars. And that is one of the, one of the bonus pickups that you can get in order to increase your score. Speaking of scoring here for each enemy destroyed, your combo counter goes up for every level. Your combo rises. The amount of points on each enemy is worth goes up. Maintaining your combo throughout a stage is one of the key components to scoring. Bombing doesn't break your combo chain. I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, and that was one of the things that um, when I first started streaming the game in the month um, and was kind of you know, going through and, and trying to not bomb, that was one of the questions that I think Dingo posed during, the, during one of the streams and... Uh, so then, during the stream, we tested that out to see, you know, does does throwing a bomb affect your your combo? And it does not. And so, that was one of the um, one of the things that that makes this game a bit less punitive than some other games. You know, some other games, um, <clears throat> especially a scoring, game like uh, like Dodonpachi, for example, mm, where if you right. if you maintain a maximum bomb stock, your your score will continue to climb. But as soon as you use a bomb, that score ceases. Yeah, yeah. So uh, games like that, where 
it's in, it's incredibly punitive if you use a bomb. And so, if you're if you're trying to score specifically, you're you're going to need to avoid using bombs. Whereas then using using bombs essentially just means that you go from playing for score to playing for survival. All right. As you destroy enemies, you can collect star icons which give points at the end of a stage you'll receive an additional bonus for the total number of stars collected in each stage based upon the current credit here there, yeah there's a achievement that you can get for this i believe it's like get a four is it 600 600 multiple star multiplier for this wow that's uh that's pretty high i think i maxed out somewhere around maybe a little below 450 yeah, I was able to pull it off in the Steam version, on there, but I had to go through a no-miss for Stage 1. Wow. I was yes. only able to do it once, but definitely worth checking out. All right. Speaking of credits and stuff there, at the end of the stage, there's a bonus for the number of bombs you have in stock, as well as for the extra lives you have. That end-of-the-stage bonus is very generous. I went from usually on and hard from three lives to five just through the, mm. the end of the first stage and the end of stage bonus. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I kind of made me think of, of Crimson Clover, which we covered earlier in the year that, you know, your score might seem relatively meager by the time you get to the end stage boss and defeat it. But then once the bonus kicks in, it jumps way up. For example, in uh, the HD version, I would, end out the first stage with somewhere around 100,000 points. Then, after the bonuses were all tallied, assuming that I didn't lose any lives and I had enough bonus, uh, enough orbs and stars to, uh, and then bombs to get that additional bonus, I might end stage one after the bonus scores are all tallied in somewhere between 400 and 500,000 points. So, it's pretty ridiculous how the combo and the stars you've collected and your bomb bonus and then your livestock all factors in for such huge point bonuses there at the end of the level all right we have speaking going on to more scoring tips we have point blanking point blanking larger enemies with a focus shot will result in a large amount of stars collected and also a large amount of bullets if you're playing on the hard difficulty so yes Definitely something you want to keep in in the back of your mind, but you can usually get in pretty good rhythm with this game. I found out that even on the hard difficulty, it wasn't giving me anywhere near as much trouble as Gradius 3, although I, I, I don't think many shmups will. Yeah, Gradius 3 is pretty brutal. Um, I found that I was able to point-blank certain enemies, some of the large enemies, early on in the first couple of stages but after that for me it became much more about survival and just trying to you know get through all the all the bullet spam and everything i tried to use this technique somewhat early on um i suppose if i memorized the game better and became better at routing it i could probably figure out a way to to milk that a little bit better and of course that's how some of the more high-scoring players are achieving those really high scores, but not me. 
Well, at the end of stage two, it really bombards you with a large amount of medium and large enemies. And if you're in the, trying to get yourself right up close and point blank, most of those, you're just going to be shut down pretty quickly. So I understand there. there there's definitely a risk-reward factor there. Ah, yeah. And speaking of risk-reward factor, there's a risk-reward factor to balancing out the use of standard shot and the focus shot due to the focus shot yielding more orbs. Bonuses for stars are both immediate and at end stage, but bomb stock bonuses are good as well, assuming you can get through a stage without bombing. Yeah, for the most part, this game has a 1-2 type situation where you're going to be quickly sw switching to your spread shot in order to deal with the popcorn and then focusing in order to deal with the larger or, or medium-sized enemies. And you're going to be doing the same thing between the bosses as well by switching between spread and with the focus shot. The first boss, and all that caught you by surprise, definitely caught me by surprise, went and started switching things up in order to what attack you're going with. If you went with your spread, it would fire a spread shot against you. Where if you're doing focused, it would either, depending upon what area you hit, it would be shooting out the little mines that explode into larger bullets, or it would be uh, swirling around its two appendages and fire out larger shots at you. Yeah, and that was one of the interesting differences I found between the Dreamcast and the HD version. You know, the, the boss patterns on the Dreamcast version are much more simplistic, and so they definitely upped the ante with the HD version by A, making the bosses um, a little bit more aggressive, but then also B, changing up their patterns a little bit uh, so that they're... Yeah, they respond to you differently because in the Dreamcast version on that first boss, for example, my strategy was to take out its kind of two drones on the sides um, and then focus on the center portion. Whereas on the HD version, when I tried to do that, its attack changed and became ridiculous and I couldn't deal with it. So then I had to change my strategy and only focus on the main portion of the boss. But yeah, the, the risk reward thing is interesting because... I noticed during the course of the game, and you guys feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but there are certain enemies that I found never yield stars. And so the best way to approach those is to use the focus shot on them, because then those are the ones that give you the higher quantity of the blue orbs to fill up your bomb meter. Uh, and so, you know, for example, there'd be a group of enemies that would come down in a straight line at you, and if you focus shot those, then you'll get those orbs. Or, um, what's the other one? There's some stationary enemies that can just kind of spin in place, uh, and usually they're in small groups or whatever. Those things, or little ground encampments, similar to what you would find in uh, a compile game, for example. Um, when you focus shot those, they'll yield a bunch of orbs um, so that you can fill up that bomb meter a lot faster. And so, yeah, there's that risk-reward between trying to go for stars more more specifically or going for bomb uh, or for orbs more specifically so that you can try to get up, you know, get your bomb bonus higher. What, uh, what did you guys focus on more specifically? Or I guess, did you focus on either? For me, I, I was focusing mostly on scoring and with the stars. There, I didn't really focus on too much on bombs. For me, bombs were, a, and I shouldn't have looked at them this way. I should have looked at them more towards the Crimson Clover way 
Or oh, that that model that we had always be breaking. Right. Yeah, in this one you can almost because you can get so many bombs, you should really be look as maybe always be bombing. But with this one, I look more the traditional that a bomb was a do-over of a way to get out. Hey, I went the wrong way for a bullet pattern, so let me go ahead and bomb so I can get at, get out of this and keep going with my game instead of losing a life. I've lost a bomb. Yeah. Yeah, the bombs are easier to, easier to recover than lives, right? So That's very true. Yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, I tend not to bomb in anything. Um, I've sort of been conditioned over the years to never bomb. Um, if you get hit, you restart. <laughs> so, um, yeah, to that end, scoring for me was always star-based. Mm, interesting. Uh, <clears throat> speaking about stars and bombs and all the visuals for here, let's take a look at the graphics. Now, I had a chance to look at this. I didn't, didn't have a chance to try it just yet, but the Dreamcast version looks to have all the visuals for the Dreamcast and the basic sprites and backgrounds. The bomb effect, as mentioned before, when I watch this on the stream, looks, uh, well, I guess a brown wave. Yeah, it's it's very, it's very ugly and pixelated and um, doesn't really fit in with the rest of the game. But especially... You know, when I first booted the game up to test it and make sure that it, it worked in my Dreamcast, um, you know, because I bought it and then opened it just before we were going to start uh, for the month. And so it was toward the end of May, I guess. I was I was messing around with it. And I plugged it in via composite through my retro tank um, and then put it up on my HDTV. And man, that was messy. It just looked muddy and noisy and it didn't look good at all. Uh, and I know that a lot of that's because composite, in that sense, you know, it's meant for a CRT and, and that. But the Dreamcast can look so much better than that. So I was pleasantly surprised to find that once I had the uh, VGA cable, um, it looked really good, I thought. Uh, you know, the, the sprites and things were a lot easier to see. Everything looked much cleaner and uh, had much better definition. It was way less noisy. And that's pretty much par for the course with most of Hugh offerings. Uh, they are really made with VGA in mind. Um, Redux Dark Matters, for example, was notoriously blurry, uh, but it was cleaned up quite a bit using VGA. However, they did release a uh, Redux 1.1 to upgrade the graphics to make them look at least palatable through uh, uh, composite. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense if you're going to design a game like that to sort of play to the strengths of the system. Well, the fact that it supports VGA is a strength of the system, especially with modern tools like the OSSC, you know, which I'm using for streams and so forth. I mean, pumping the VGA cable directly into that gives me a clean 480p signal over HDMI. I can bring that into OBS and then you know, stretch the window out so that it looks bigger and it kind of scales semi-organically, I'll say, for the stream. And so it looks really good. And for those that have the monitors for the OSSC, you can line double it to 960p and that looks pretty great. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of wish my TV would do 960p. <laughs> Same here. That's in my future, but... For right now, I'll just have to settle for yield 480p. 
All right. Speaking of seeing things clearly, the one thing that I had a problem with, I know you did too, and that was too many bright reds and pinks that caused some bullets, especially those shot from the turrets in stage two, to blend in with backgrounds more than they should, which caused a little bit of what I like to call the Einhandar effect. You know, where did these bullets, I think I saw these bullets, where did they come from? Yeah, I found that especially with stage two, and then again in some spots in stage three, when you're kind of going over the, the bits where there are the cherry blossoms and a lot of pink, you know, uh, uh, stage stage four. You uh, mean stage right? four? Yes, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, stage two was the biggest offender. I mean, you've got all of the you've got all of the red dirt from Mars and all of that uh, backdrop, and then in in addition to that, some of the other background elements are kind of a reddish or pinkish color, and then you've got some reddish or pinkish enemies, and then you've got all these red or pink bullets. Uh, and so it, it just kind of becomes this big, you know, Pepto-Bismol kind of pink soup that is difficult to wade through and, and can be difficult to see some of those bullets. And so uh, until you kind of learn the enemy bullet spread and some of that and kind of know how and where to anticipate things, uh, expect a few needless deaths because you just couldn't see a bullet or, you know, missed it in the background. Pepto Bismars. <laughs> oh, I like that. Pepto Bismars. That's good. Uh, It'd be interesting to try it on the switch and see what the graphics look like on there. Maybe we can have a little bit more definition in there. Yeah, I don't know. I, it, that would be interesting to play in Tate mode on the Switch Switch screen itself. Because, you know, the, the Switch screen itself is, I would say, probably a little bit brighter than a standard, well, than a standard LCD PC monitor. I, I know the, the LCD monitor that I use with my setup is not inherently that bright. Um, but, of course, the Switch's screen is... is a little bit brighter, especially once you get once you get a, a screen protector on top of it. You know, if you use like a tempered tempered glass screen protector, you get a little bit more of that kind of shimmer effect. So I don't know. I'd be curious to to see how that looks. Well, hopefully we can find out soon. Speaking of graphics and sound, can you tell me a little bit about the music for this game. Yeah, Sarah, you want to go into maybe some of the music-related uh, stuff? All right, well, um, I was... Uh, how I came to be part of the Ghostblade HD project was that uh, Hugh Cass was putting out a a call for people that... Uh, uh, for people to provide, um, like, uh, remixed tracks of the soundtrack in Ghostblade. And they'd be put on an arranged sound CD, which I don't think ever materialized. Um, what happened was I put in a remix for the second stage. And basically based on that, they wanted to know if I wanted to do uh, remixes for the rest of the game. And I obliged um, and uh, basically got to work on it. Uh, it was uh, an interesting <laughs> process getting that done. Uh, working with UCast, I'm not going to say was ideal, but you know, 
uh, in the end, I'm I'm kind of uh, pleased with the results uh, that that came out of it. There, there was a few things I went into the project that I wanted to change. <laughs> um, stage three, for example, has kind of like the most bizarre intro I think that I've heard in a, a shooting game for quite some time. Hmm. Uh, it was kind of like this weird alien squeal going on in the background, <laughs> and uh, I, I had to put the axe on that, like. It, it, it annoyed me personally, and I knew that if I was being annoyed by it, a lot of other people are probably being annoyed by it as well. So huh. I, uh, I went with a much more traditional intro uh, to that particular stage. Uh, the boss theme was almost entirely overhauled as well, and uh, I think stage four and stage five were almost completely redone too. Yeah, I mean, when I think about the, the original score by Raphael Dill... It's got some personality to it, but it's a little bit disjointed. Some of the tracks don't feel like they fit very well with the levels. Mm. Um, you know, you mentioned stage three with that weird intro. Uh, you know, stage three, I kind of get into a rhythm. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, I, I didn't notice the music that much in stage three, other than kind of the bass melody, which you picked up on and and made your version of it. But stage three in its original incarnation felt kind of nondescript and didn't really work for me, but I, I quite like your remix of stage three and, and uh, I think it enhances that level in terms of, you know, just the overall experience. Yeah. uh, The original took quite a while to get into anything that was, you know, fitting for a uh, shoot-em-up stage outside of, you know, what you'd find in R-Type Final, for example. And um, there, there was a few other places like Stage 1 and the bo- the main boss theme that uh, Raphael Dell did, where, like, the music didn't fit properly together. Mm. Um, like that little intermission part in the middle of the main uh, the main melody, uh, or where it breaks off, and, uh, and you have that weird little solo uh, in Stage 1. That didn't sound quite right um it didn't flow properly from one scale or one uh one key to the next i think there was a a key change there that was sort of i don't want to say improperly implemented but not well implemented so i made sure that that when i when i did my version of that that it made musical sense to the listener yeah i mean i think on the whole your version of the soundtrack is much more cohesive. It's much more fitting to the game as a whole. And it's just a lot more, uh, I don't know, it just it just works better. Uh, go- going into it, Hugh, the main thing that HughCast wanted out of the arranged soundtrack was one that sounded more Japanese. Um, because uh, unlike their other games, which were mostly horizontal, if not all completely horizontal up until that point... Um, this, of course, was meant to emulate the Japanese vertical, uh, vertical-oriented vertical shoot-em-up, which is why it includes a Tate mode. But the soundtrack was very Euro, so they really wanted something that had more of that classic Japanese flavor, and that's something that I think that, uh, that I'm able to sort of do really easily. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that, that was the, the, the one thing that, uh, that I took to heart throughout the entire process was to make it sound like something you'd hear out of, uh, out of a game from Japan. Sure. I, I appreciate that you took kind of the bass melodies from each stage and 
turned them into something something different and something more kind of in that style. I mean, the one the one song from the original soundtrack that I kind of took to was Stage Four because I really liked the um, the kind of vocal bits and pieces in there, and it had a little bit more of a Japanese uh, flavor, I would say, to that track, but not necessarily on the whole, you know, just kind of sprinkled in. Uh, and then, yeah, the rest of it kind of was more like a like a Eurobeat techno kind of overall approach. And I mean, <clears throat> speaking of key changes, that's one thing that I added to that particular track. I put a key change in there to give it uh, more progression where the original sort of uh, fell back and language, languished on uh, a repeating track that sort of held on a little too long. Mm, sure. Interesting. Yeah, or the, I would say, one of my favorite transitions or changes was the character selection screen. The original sound like it came off a Seinfeld uh, soundboard, where <laughs> yours is much more subdued, but still keeps yeah. the original beat. <laughs> or you know, in, in the stream that was done for year, for Sir Flash for your Ghostblade uh, take, someone had mentioned that the original Stage 3 sounded like uh, a mosquito. <laughs> I'm gonna put this mosquito right here in front of the mic. Let it go wild. <laughs> uh, <laughs> direct from the stream. Yep. <laughs> uh, that was one of the funniest things I think I've ever <laughs> I've ever had said on my stream. Uh, I could not stop laughing. I, I basically had to quit at that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every time, every time you. Uh, addicted when you say that the that the ship selection screen sounds like Seinfeld and I'm getting this image of Jerry Seinfeld in my head going what's up with these space Barbies oh <laughs> uh, you know I have to say hey, that the, my first time listening to some anything by Raphael Dill was with the Neo XYX soundtrack and that sounded pretty good I didn't have any problems with it was it. a decent soundtrack yeah, yeah it's this one just seems like I don't want to say phoned in because I don't think that's the right word. I think that detracts from what he did. It just feels <laughs> dis very disjointed. And I, I'm not sure what happened. Yeah, I just don't think it's as fitting to the game and its I mean, atmosphere as it should be. Maybe it was on speed though, though. I don't know. I don't, maybe they just gave him the plots and said, here, work with this. <laughs> We need you to find an evil theme for an AI supercomputer called She-Ra. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, in all, all these games, they're pretty nonsensical, but there, there's definitely some great standouts from here. And, and the soundtrack definitely changed the game for the better, in my opinion. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this, but it was a lot easier to feel... Like I was taking on an AI supercomputer and all of the evil drones when I was not having to be bothered by a mosquito in my ear. <laughs> I will say one of my favorite parts of the uh, the soundtrack in general is the boss theme. Oh, the, mm. the Studio um, Mudprints theme, right? Ever since someone <laughs> mentioned that, that's all I can hear when I... <laughs> I it's weird, though, because I don't hear it. Oh, to me, it's at least you get a couple notes, and that's what I hear. But <laughs> I know for a fact, though, that um, 
Like, the one thing I really wanted to bring out was that uh, warning sound. It was a little subdued in the original, but, like, I made it, like, in-your-face, like, Darius-style. Nice. Yeah, and see, to me, the original boss theme was kind of annoying, and so I appreciated the remix version sounding more fitting and feeling like, you know, more of a... I don't know, just just more appropriate for boss encounters. Yeah, I mean that one there was uh, it had some wild key changes in it, which I uh, I, uh, I tried to put in there to to really sort of make uh, the player feel just a little uneasy as they were going through. Yeah, and I think I think I think overall that worked well. Overall, very well done. Good job. I uh, thank y'all. Yes, I will second that. So, I guess at this point, I'd like to maybe talk about kind of our general impressions of the game beyond the scope of what we've already talked about. I'm especially interested to hear your thoughts, Sarah, because I know you reviewed the original on the Dreamcast, and you've covered kind the, of well, <laughs> and and I mean you kind of reviewed the the HD version, but it wasn't really a review as such. It was you know because you can't score it. Yeah, Since, you know, there's it, a conflict it holds, of interest. It holds the distinction of having the only ever 0.00 on Bullet Heaven. Right. With an asterisk, granted, right? But uh, yeah, we, we couldn't give it a numbered score, or really a score of any kind, based on the fact that I had worked on it. Because yeah, you know, obviously there's flaws, and there's, uh, there's things that I did point out in the general overview, but... Um, I still kind of got to give it a five out of five for me. <laughs> sure. But I mean, you know, yeah. not, not so much thinking about a rating, but more, you know, I mean, have, <clears throat> having been a couple of years now since the, since the HD version released and having had some time away from it and some time since your bullet heaven video, going back to it and playing it, uh, you know, streaming the, the original version last month, you know, and and just getting a little bit of that flavor again. I mean, has your impression of the game changed, or <laughs> is there anything that you know? Well, okay, I I did buy I, I bought the limited edition of the game when it was new. Um, I wasn't. I think there was like a Kickstarter or something like that that they did, but I wasn't a part of that. Um, but like playing it, even even back then, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know about this. This isn't exactly. Um, this isn't exactly a game that's running especially well on the Dreamcast, and we know the Dreamcast can do some pretty amazing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Games like um, Zero Gunner Two and oh, what's the other one? There? Under Defeat. Right. Um, both of those games exemplify uh, the fact that the Dreamcast can do some pretty amazing things if it's programmed for correctly. And I think uh, it's not as optimized as it could have been. And so even even starting off, like, I've always felt that the Dreamcast version was sort of iffy. But, like, going back to the Dreamcast version, it's, it's really not really a good game. It's not. It's it's not that good. The, the HD version brings it to what it should be in terms of performance. And I think as a game, it's it's much better. But it's still maybe not as good as it could be. Uh, it's a little short, uh, especially since stage five is really sort of like on the on the shorter end of things. There's no like true last boss. There's no 
there's almost no incentive to one CC the game, really. Um, being that it's it's still just the same five stages over and over again. Uh, there's of course the the achievements and such, which you know it's a nice touch, but uh, I felt that the game was lacking in general just because it doesn't have as much as other similar games offer. Um, you look at like a Dodonpachi, for example, and it has you know seven modes, <laughs> or no, not not seven modes, but like at least three modes for Dodonpachi, or like. Escaluda has seven. That, that one does have seven modes, and they're all vastly different. Like, if they had extra modes that did more than just uh, ramp up the difficulty and add more bullets and maybe make them a little faster, there there maybe be something to it. Or, like, if you get through Evil Shira, for example, on one credit, uh, you then have to fight our core or something like that, and that gets really hard. Or, you know, something along those lines, but it, it just kind of doesn't happen in this game. So... Yeah, it definitely leaves a bit to be desired, but on the whole, absolutely, the HD version is miles better and still a worthwhile experience compared to the, I would say, the overinflatedly priced Dreamcast version. Yeah, I mean, that that was one of the things that I liked about the fact that PlayAsia did another print run of this so that at least, you know, it's like 30 bucks for the game. Uh, to get a physical copy for the Dreamcast, so I didn't feel like I had been cheated or anything like that. Yeah, because like <clears throat> the original was something like seventy euro. Wow. Yeah, it was expensive. That's uh, that's kind of nuts. I, I mean, from from strictly a gameplay standpoint, the Dreamcast version, in some ways, feels like uh, almost like an introductory game for bullet hell style shoot 'em ups. Um, you know, it's relatively easy to pick up. It's not overly complicated. Uh, you know, you have things like we like we mentioned earlier where bombing doesn't break your combo chain and some things like that that make it a little bit less punitive than a, a Dodon Pachi or something like that. And so if you want to kind of get get a feel for the genre and, and know going in that you're not getting the best example of the genre. But, you know, you kind of want to dip your toe in the water. The Dreamcast version, if you can pick it up inexpensively, is not a bad way to do that. Um, yeah, it's janky. Yeah, it's got some, some issues. But I still think it... I didn't regret buying it, and I didn't regret playing it even though it's a little bare bones. And like you said, you know, you're not getting any extra features like the true last boss or that's kind of a thing. You know, you really only have the two difficulties in the Dreamcast version, normal and novice. Um, so it, it really doesn't have a lot. Now, of course, the HD version changes that up and gives you three difficulties, easy, normal, and hard. And then also um, includes the score attack, which was, was fun, but the, the thing that I was annoyed with with the score attack was that it was a remix of stage two, which, in my opinion, is the most annoying stage in the game. A, because of all the pink and the inability to see some of the bullets. But then B, I had the hardest time finding a rhythm in stage two. Um, you know, I, I have the same beef with stage five that you did. It's it's. It's too short, um, which in a way is good because if it was a longer stage, 
based on how they designed it, it, I wouldn't like it. The fact that all they did was just make it a gauntlet of all these enemies coming at you um, means that the shorter version was kind of a small mercy, given that you're, you know, you're basically just, they're just throwing everything and the kitchen sink at you right before Shira. You know, it's sort of like, if you think of it in the context of the game's story, it makes sense because we're just going to throw everything at you and to try to keep you from Shira um, so that you're you're not able to destroy this, this thing that we depend on. Um, but in terms of level design, it is, it's not great. You know, I, I personally found stage three to be the best designed stage in the game, at least as far as I was concerned. Um, I, I found that it was easy to kind of find a, a rhythm in that stage and that it flowed very well. And, you know, I could kind of make my way through the stage and sort of weave back and forth and in and out of stuff. And and I really like how that stage flows. And I felt like if the rest of the game had been designed with that much care or with that kind of flow in mind, then on the whole, it would be a perhaps a better experience. Um, now, that's just me. Um but, you know, I would certainly like to see, I don't know if you would say a sequel to this game or for HughCast to give this formula another try, but, you know, keep it in the oven longer, so to speak, and make sure that the levels have a much better, a much better flow and a much um, more, much more attention to detail in terms of how you want the players to kind of move through the stages you know, I think of something like Crimson Clover, and I know we keep going back to that well, but, I mean, there's a reason that, that people on the Shmups forums rated that game in the last year's ranking at the number five spot. It's just really, really good. And it hits so many of the right notes that I think this game just doesn't quite reach. Isn't that game on sale right now for, like, 77 cents? Like it's kind of dumb. Like Crimson Clover should be in everyone's library for seventy-seven cents. Like oh yeah, I mean anybody listening, you know, if if the summer Steam sale is still going on by the time you listen to this, even if it's not, if you don't have Crimson Clover in your library, and you like you like shoot 'em ups, and you know you're willing to take a chance on a on a bullet hell game if that's not your jam normally, you absolutely should try it because it's fantastic. But yeah, I mean, I think in terms of trying to make a Japanese-style, cave-style, Dodonpachi-style shmup, you know, because this is very obviously a a bit of an homage to kind of the Dodonpachi series, I think it's a, it's a reasonable first effort from a developer that hadn't made a game of this style before i think it would be interesting to see them go back and try to make another game in this style and put a little bit more time and thought and effort into it and see what they could come up with because i think if they if they put in the effort and you know really were very specific with the choices that they made i think it had has potential to be something that would be really good and of course you know they should 
make sure to hire you for music again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, what do you think, uh, Addicted? You know, I'm going to echo your statements there. I think that I would personally avoid the Dreamcast version if anyone asked and re- instead refer them to the HD version. If they, we had several people who, who we'll get into in just a moment here who were saying, "Hey, I haven't played shmups in ages, and this is my first Damaku style game, and I decided to join in as it's only ten bucks, and I really liked it." I think that if you're coming from where you have a PlayStation Four, or, you know, upcoming here, just have a Switch, that it's a good intro. It may be flawed in some areas, sure, but that's mainly for people who have an idea of what they're expecting out of there for something that started out as a caravan shooter it turned out pretty well it has some flaws and you know every once in a while you got to stop and you got to have it serviced or check on certain stuff like the pink bullets or you know the uh, annoying mosquitoes which thankfully you can turn off but it's it's definitely has has some flaws, but it's a as you mentioned, Fro. It's a very good freshman effort, and for the price they're asking for, ten bucks. That's ten for the digital. I don't think you'd be able to find a physical for that that much. It's definitely worth it to get at the very least to get people interested in to see what the Don Mako or what shmup, that style of shmup is about. Yeah. And I know I kind of jokingly said uh, last month that, you know, this could maybe be considered baby baby's first Danmaku kind of a thing. But I think it, like I said, it, it, it does make a good introductory game into the genre, kind of dip your toe in the water, see if this is something you can hang with. And then, assuming that's the case, then, yeah, check out a Crimson Clover, check out a Dodonpachi series, check out... Um, you know, something like that. I, I don't know if Ketsui is is uh, a game I'd um, recommend for early uh, for early ac- uh, exposure to this genre. Nah, you- Mushihime-sama is probably be- a better choice. Futari, though, the second one, not the first. Right. Yeah, that's a good that's a good choice. That's a good game. One of the things that I would say I'd like to see, at least if they decide to do another update to this is to have a little bit more variety in the ships. Not only with the aesthetics, also dealing with the way that the ships respond. Because it doesn't feel like there's enough of a variation there. It's something that that is very apparent after playing a lot of Crimson Clover. That how much the ship design, and the fact that they had unlockables too. It's like, hey, you know, if you do this and this and this, you can unlock this ship. It felt a little bit more of the... uh, uh, schoolyard type rumors on there if you hold select and start and you pre- press start on the second player you can unlock a secret ship the andraste <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and also more variety in the barbies i mean let's let's be realistic you know we need we need more different types of space barbies um yeah i know it was a, a homage to uh <laughs> DOJ and uh, well, caves <laughs> Dodonpachi and uh, DFK and and all of those style of games and the way that that the characters were drawn in there, but it it does come a little bit more overtly. Let's put on our best swimwear and jump in our spaceships. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a little goofy. Take a swim in the star ocean, right? Something like that. 
All right. Well, um, we had some feedback from uh, members of RF Generation, and uh, let's jump in and hear a little bit of what they had to say. One of our big participants here lately has been Zoido, and uh, when he found the thread, he said, That's funny. I just ordered a DC copy last week, finally. So I guess I'm in on DC and PS4. Later in the thread, he says, Played a few runs on both versions. Couldn't beat my personal best in the DC version, but I think I had a good start anyway. Uh, he also says, uh, I also tried to play with my arcade stick instead of the PS4 pad on my last run yesterday. I had a really good run until stage 3. Then my stick disconnected somehow. I lost control and bam, game over. I think I will stick to that anyway. The stick allows me to play more aggressive, and maybe that's what I need to score better. That sounds like a bad uh, malady there. What happened to him? Oh, he had stick disconnect. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, uh, later he says, uh, went back to the DC version for Sunday. I did another clear and increased my score. My personal best so far. He says, only thing I don't get is how the column for combo on the scoreboard works. It shows zero, but I finished the first three stages without losing a life, so there must have been a higher combo somewhere. Um, until now, I thought it shows the highest combo you got during your playthrough, but it seems that is not how it works. I lost a life shortly before defeating the final boss, so maybe it just shows the combo you had before finishing the game or game over. Maybe someone knows for sure. And I noticed that too with the Dreamcast version, and I don't know if that was a bug or exactly what it was, because on the HD version, it always showed what my max combo was um, throughout the course of the game. But in the DC version, I had the same thing, where some of my scores, my combo shows a zero, um, and so I have no idea why that is. Do you have any idea on that, Sarah? I'm sorry, what was the... In the in the Dreamcast version, sometimes when you look at the scoreboard after you finish a run, it shows your combo as zero. Um, oh. In the in the HD version, it always shows you what your max combo was, um, you know, through the course of the game. But on the Dreamcast version, sometimes the combo just shows zero, even though if you didn't lose a life during the course of a stage or what have you, you know, you would reach a certain combo level by destroying enemies throughout the the stage and so for whatever reason the dreamcast version isn't isn't putting that in there it's just showing zero yeah it sounds like a bug to me that's kind of my thought uh and then in the, uh he posted some final thoughts at the end of the thread he says june is over already that was fast i was a bit lazy the last week and played a few runs only because it's freaking hot outside had a lot of fun this month, and I really enjoyed playing Ghostblade. I love the Dreamcast. It's one of my favorite consoles, maybe top three. And it's awesome that there are still games released on this gem until today. Especially for shmups, there's a lot of love on, on the late Dreamcast. Just received ARM 7 last week, which was released recently. I got the DC version of Ghostblade two weeks before the playthrough, and only played the HD version before. The DC version is quite a bit easier than the HD remaster and has some technical issues too, but still love this version because it's fun to play 
It's colorful, and the soundtrack is awesome, and after a few playthroughs, you got a feeling for where to bomb to reduce the technical issues and go on. Couldn't clear the HD version yet, but maybe I can do that over time. Made it to the final boss already. There's really a lot going on, and sometimes it's hard to keep a clear view, because there are tons of different bullets, points, and power-ups. They really amped up everything for the HD version, and added a hard mode and caravan mode as well, so the HD version might be the best choice to play the game. Still like the DC version a bit more, because Dreamcast! What I also really like about the game is that it's made by a German team. There aren't too many games coming from Germany, so it's totally awesome that we have some talented and dedicated indie developers doing cool shmups for the DC and other platforms, such as NGDev, Duranik, and Hugast. Uh, and of course, Zoido is uh, from Germany, and so that's kind of neat that he was able to sort of celebrate that, um, you know, uh, Hugast being from, from Germany and and, you know, that being kind of a, a neat thing for him. I always thought that most of the indie, uh, indie dev shoot 'em ups were coming out of Germany almost exclusively, though. It seemed that way. Huh, that's interesting. Uh, we have a comment here from Vic Viper Mark II. Sounds nice. Count me in. Let me just dig up my PC version. And apparently he's still digging it up. Yeah, he didn't post any scores for the month, so I wasn't sure if he... If he played it, I know he came and watched some of my streams, but I'm not sure how much time he put into the game. All right, we have some thoughts from ChrisDap76. How do I sign up for this? Well, I have both versions, but probably do the PS4. Later, he posted, man, stage four is difficult. I seem to, to be doing my best plays using the Milan. Later, he posted, the DC is slow and buggy, or it's, maybe it's just my setup. No, the DC version is slow and buggy. <laughs> First attempt, and probably my last, we'll stick with the PS version, I think. Good choice. My final thoughts on Ghostblade. I bought the PSV ver excuse me, PS4 version a couple of years ago, but never really played it until now. So thanks, Mr. Guru. <laughs> I have to say, it really is a top shooter. I'm glad I put the time in. Thank you for playing with us. That's what the Shmup Club is all about. Yep. Now, I cannot say the same for the Dreamcast version. I'm not going to fault you there. I found it very laggy, and the game really should have been playtested more before release. I played using CRT, an original Dreamcast hardware, and found it very buggy and slow-paced compared to the PS4 version. Immediately, the DS DC version was a lot easier. With all the faults mentioned, I can now understand why the DC version got mixed reviews when it was originally released, and I doubt I'll go back and play it. For some reason I cannot explain, I managed to score a lot higher using the Milan compared to the other ships. You said that you had some, scored higher with the Milan on the DC version too, isn't that right, Fro? Yep. That's and that's how I got my one CC. I think uh, it has something to do with how similar the the focus shot is compared to the regular shot, so you're getting a lot more tech or bonus out of it. Probably, yeah. As he continues on here, overall, I could not get past the fourth level on the PS4 version. Will will certainly continue to play it more often. He gave the PS4 version an eight out of ten, and the Dreamcast a five out of ten. Ends with cheers. 
<laughs> Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Uh, Dingo jumped in and posted a couple of things. Uh, he says, just picked up this game. Been on my wish list for some time now, so this was the perfect excuse. Count me in. And then later in the thread, he said, Stage 3 boss is as far as I've gotten thus far. Still using the green ship primarily. So Dingo definitely stuck with the the Milan in uh, the HD version, sounds like. Alright, we have a post here from Brandon Guerrera, 97. Count me in. Got my PS4 version digitally at the ready. Later he posts... Just managed to secure a 1cc on easy with a score over 4.4 billion. Congrats on the 1cc. And he says, now onward to normal. Indeed. And uh, Brandon really participated quite a bit. He posted several scores and, you know, he's been coming to my streams. And and uh, I know he's been in a lot of your streams, sir. Um, so he's pretty enthusiastic. He's like our town crier. Yeah, he's a he's a nice guy, and uh, so I was I was really happy to see his participation and all the scores that he posted and everything. It was it was really cool that uh, you know you could see his progression through the course of the month and and really see that he was improving and and having a lot of fun with it. Uh, and then uh, D Tungsten also jumped in and he actually played on the Wii U version, which was pretty cool because. Uh, you can actually do the Tate mode in on the Wii U version and play it on the gamepad in Tate. Uh, and so he actually uh, just made one post that said Wii U and Tate mode, and he posted a picture of the gamepad. And of course, you can't really see the gamepad, but you can tell the that that's kind of the screen that you're looking at, and it showed the the uh, high scores there in uh, vertical orientation. So that was pretty cool. I. I, I'm I don't want to say jealous, but I I almost bought the Wii U version digitally when it first came out a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, I I think that's pretty cool that you could play that on the Wii U gamepad Tate. That's uh, Yeah, that was uh, that was actually the version that we had. Oh that's right. I remember that from your review. Yeah, so now of course with the with the forthcoming Switch version, um, that makes the the Wii U functionality with the gamepad a little bit less unique, um, but it's still cool. Jumping into the high scores here, uh, I mentioned Zoido as the one of the participants there, and and uh, he managed to uh, almost completely dominate the uh, the board this month. <laughs> uh, so in the Dreamcast version. He scored 1,354,100, or no, excuse me, 1,354,142,900 points on Novice Mode on the Dreamcast, and that was a 1cc. And he also got a 1cc in Normal with... The exact same score? Uh, I must have done that wrong. <laughs> I'll have to double check that. Give me, uh, give me thirty seconds here, and and, and just imagine that you're. Listening. I want it to be the exact same score. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably not. So just imagine that you're hearing the, uh, the, uh, um, oh geez, what's the game show? Uh, the Jeopardy, Jeopardy music. You know, do 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 do. So let's see here. 
I'm just going to bring up the uh, the thread here yeah. for. While you're doing that, there, we'll. Oh, here we oh. go. It's 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 one billion one hundred sixteen million two hundred fifty one thousand six hundred forty points, and uh, both his novice and normal run on Dreamcast were with Ghost. Uh, and then on, um, we already heard from Brandon, where uh, Brandon Guerra ninety seven. He on the HD version, he uh, blew everybody away with easy mode, getting four billion four hundred forty million seven hundred forty eight thousand twenty five points and the one CC. So congrats, Brandon, on that amazing score. Uh, I ended up getting the highest score on normal. I think probably because I ended up getting the one CC at normal uh, on the last day of the month, no less, um, during my stream. I remember so that. <laughs> it was two billion three hundred fifty-seven million two hundred seventy-four thousand eight hundred points. Um, so I was pretty, I was pretty pleased with that. Uh, Zoido ended up getting the HD hard. Difficulty score, uh, top score with 1,592,952,033 points. Um, and then Zoido also just barely edged me out on the score attack mode on HD with 1,059,486,769 points. And he only, he only beat my score by something on the order of 25,000 some odd points. Um, so I was a little, I was a little annoyed by that, that, he, <laughs> you know, he got so many categories and he, he beat me on that, but I only, I think I only went through the score attack mode maybe three or four times during the course of the month, just to check it out. I didn't think it was quite as fun as, as Crimson Clover's score attack. And so I, uh, I didn't put as much time into it. So, again, thank you to everyone who participated and everyone who shared screenshots. Um, we definitely appreciate it. Um, you know, if we didn't, if we didn't say your name this time, well, what can I say? Get good, and uh, you know, just try harder and keep working on it, and hopefully, eventually, you'll get your name on the board. <sighs> so, any final thoughts about this game, gentlemen? I like the alternative soundtrack. Definitely think it's worth 10 bucks. Avoid the Dreamcast version and looking forward to playing it again on Switch. I think I'd like to see what a Ghost Blade 2 might actually hold, but who knows if they'll actually get around to making it. So I apologize for the uh, fireworks noise, everybody. There's uh, a lot of fireworks being lit off here while we're recording so you're probably hearing some booming in the background but uh yeah i mean celebration extend exactly <laughs> it's an interesting prospect to think about what a sequel to this game might look like or as i mentioned before a second effort from hucast in this style to see if they could really do something that is a more cohesive work or or you know if they could could bring a more well-developed and polished effort to market like what Ghostblade HD feels like after, you know, some more, some more time in development. So if they could, if they could do something like that and either 
make another effort on the Dreamcast again, but optimize it better, or just focus on modern platforms so that they could release something that is, uh, you know, just more more cohesive, more well-developed, more optimized, and uh, has more to it, then I, I really think that they could do something, something interesting. Um, but as it stands, I think Ghostblade HD is... A solid game that is worth a look. I wouldn't go so far as to say avoid the Dreamcast version like like you have addicted, but definitely don't overpay for it. You know, don't unless you're a collector, don't jump on eBay and spend 70 or 80 bucks on an original print run. You know, Play Asia has the new the new print run right now for 30 bucks. And I think that's a reasonable price for a physical copy of something that's going to work in your Dreamcast and give you the opportunity to play this game in its original form. But I would say that paying $10 for the digital version as it stands right now is a reasonable price of entry for this game and certainly not a waste of money. I mean, I think it's, it's worth playing and it's worth checking out. Especially for that alternate soundtrack. Yeah, and especially with the Switch version forthcoming, I would say, and what the Switch actually is right now, I mean, it's really turned out to be a, a shmup's powerhouse. I would like to see them get some more traction on this, so that way they can develop a Ghostblade 2. It, and it's going to be, hopefully they will include a little, maybe a couple more modes, or at least a little something more than just a standard port to it. Yeah, yeah, and I think given the given the success of the genre so far on the Switch, I I think I mean hopefully they'll they'll see some of that as well, and uh, you know they'll continue to grow that audience. Alrighty, well, what do we have coming next? Pancakes. <laughs> Pancakes indeed. Delicious. <laughs> yes, because in July. Um, when we're recording this, we are already in the midst of playing Strikers 1945-2 from Saikyo, the uh, famed Japanese developer of games that uh, aren't quite bullet hell, but might make you think that you're in a bullet hell of some kind, uh, because they throw a lot at you. Uh, Originally released in the arcades, it was also... Uh, ported to the Saturn. Uh, unfortunately, that release was Japan only. We got a release in North America from Age Tech uh, on the PlayStation that unfortunately was not properly branded. So it just says Strikers 1945. So if you see that, pick that up. It's a it's a decent version. Uh, PlayStation 2 got a kind of compilation of Strikers 1945 and its sequel, uh, but I think that was only Japan and Europe that saw that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, it is out now on the Switch. Uh, you can get that digitally on the eShop, or if you are so inclined, there are Asian and Japanese region releases. Uh, in the Asian release, which is available from Play Asia and possibly Amazon, that is on Volume 2. Uh, and then I think for the Japan release specifically, there are two volumes. And I don't remember whether it's Volume 1 or 2 that has... Strikers 2 on it. Uh, I'm not 100% sure either. 
Yeah, one of them had all of I the... I want to say I want to say it's the second one because I think all the Sengoku stuff is on the first volume. Right. I think you're right. Um so yeah, anyway, lots of lots of ways to play Strikers 1945 too. Yep, and I will say this, at least with Strikers 1945 on the PlayStation, it's still a heck of a lot better than calling it Mobile Light Force. <laughs> this is true. Uh Age Tech may have uh may have skimped on the naming, but uh they uh, they didn't try to rebrand it as as Charlie's Angels the hmm. Shmup. Uh, PAL territories also have uh, Strikers 1945-2 properly branded on the PlayStation as well. Oh, nice. So that helps for uh, for those uh, living in PAL territories. Uh, and then in August, we have Blazing Lasers uh, for the TurboGrafx-16, which was released in uh, 1989. And of course, the Japanese version is known as Gunhead for the PC Engine, which um, sort of loosely ties in with the the movie Gunhead. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how, but uh, that branding and and tie-in, of course, was re- was removed for the North American version. But uh, that's kind of a, a joint effort by Hudson and Compile, and uh, it's a fun little game. I'm gonna have I'm definitely gonna have some fun going back to that one because that was one of my early shmup 1ccs from gosh probably about a decade ago um so it'll be interesting to see whether or not i can 1cc it again and uh if so how quickly that happens it's not a completely unreasonable 1cc either so yeah i think people have a good shot at that one yeah i mean i think the last stage ramps up in difficulty a bit and so people might hit a wall at that point but it is a long ass game. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a long game. Um, so hopefully we'll have some folks on board and, and have some fun with that. That one, uh, you can also, um, for those of you who have a Wii U, that is still available on the Wii U virtual console. Uh, unfortunately, the Wii virtual console is shut down. And uh, at one point it was available on PSN that you could get on PS3. But uh but yeah, for those of you who don't own a Turbo Graphics or a PC Engine, don't have access to the physical game, but you do still have a Wii U, dust it off, and uh, you can pick that up on the Wii U Virtual Console for just a few bucks. Yep, and do you think we'll get Kanye West to join us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm not sure if I should hope for that or be afraid of that. We'll let you decide that one. Yeah. Um, so before we uh, before we kind of close out and and do our shout outs, uh, Sarah, I would like to give you the opportunity to basically plug what you're doing and tell people how to find you online and um, you know what you're working on so that people kind of know uh, what to expect forthcoming. Well, it's pretty easy. Uh, Googling me is a good way to uh, get connected to most of my projects. Uh, So in Google, just Sarah Flash, S-E-R space F-L-A-S-H. And it'll bring up my uh, my official Google results. You can also catch me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Sirxor, S-E-R-R-A-X-O-R, as well as twitch.tv slash Sirxor, Twitter at (laughs) Sirxor. 
Uh, and of course, my music page, smpmusicproductions.bencamp.com. Yes, and uh, highly recommend the discography uh, that you have there. It's some really cool music and uh, certainly some stuff that I've enjoyed listening to. Yeah, typically speaking, it's 60% off, so you can get 200 tracks of music for under 30 bucks. Yeah, it's a really good deal. And we also get the M2 album, which is one of my personal favorites that you did for the uh, M2 Shot Triggers interview for My Life in Gaming. Yes. Yes, which uh, for those of you who haven't seen that yet, it is on YouTube. Um, those of us who were uh, stupid and or crazy enough to pay for the uh, limited run games Battle Gorilla box set, we'll be getting a physical DVD of that. And if I'm not mistaken, they may be selling DVDs of that separately anyway. Yeah, I think they had a little bit of overflow from the uh, the collector's edition, so I think they, they sold those in limited numbers. Ah, oh, okay. Well, anyway, the, the doc is available on YouTube. Go check it out. It's pretty cool. I've watched half of it so far and uh, have enjoyed it. And, uh, of course, the song stylings of Serflash are... Uh, mm -hmm. The dulcet tones. <laughs> yes, the dulcet tones of of uh, Sir Flash's music are are there, uh, contained therein. Oh, there's one actually, one other thing that I want to sort of put out there as well. I do a lot of written work over on PressPauseRadio.com. Uh, and that, of course, is a, a mirror site for all of the Bullet Heaven stuff that we got going on. So be sure to check out uh, Press Pause Radio for musings and podcasts with my regular crew. All right, cool. So yeah, definitely make sure and go check out Sarah on all the platforms, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and uh, check out the discography on Bandcamp and PressPauseRadio.com and uh, go show him some love and, and give him some support because uh, he's been doing the Bullet Heaven series on YouTube for uh, 10 years now and uh, is definitely been a vital part of keeping the uh, shoot-em-up genre alive in the hearts and minds of uh, of gamers over the past decade. So, as always, um, obviously, since you're here, we might as well shout you out again and say thank you uh, once again for the logo that you've provided, um, which, of course, are now available on T-shirts that you can go to redbubble.com and search for shoot the core or shoot the core dash cast. That will be uh, the top or one of the top search results. And uh, you'll be able to buy yourself a snazzy t-shirt with our yeah. logo. You too can have one in dreamcast orange. <laughs> That's right. Like the one that you wear on your stream sometimes all the time. <laughs> uh, but yes, redbubble.com, search for Shoot the Core-Cast, and uh, buy a shirt and support the podcast. Um, we also want to thank Kogasu for the intro and outro music that we use for the podcast. We want to shout out the uh, rfgeneration.com folks, the regular playthrough group, and of course the RF Generation Playcast. Make sure you're checking them out. And again, for the 2019 RF Gen NES Challenge, uh, go sign up and participate in that if you uh, like old NES games and want to uh, check a few off your, your backlog. And uh, 
I've said it for several months now, and I'm going to keep saying it. Um, I'm streaming online. Uh, find me on YouTube as Game Boy Guru, and um, somewhat backwards on Twitch as Guru Game Boy, because the other was taken. And uh, watch my streams. I will be frequently streaming the shoot 'em up club of the shmup club game of the month and so i've been streaming strikers here for the past few days and um thoroughly getting my backside handed to me so uh if you wanna if you wanna uh, have a bit of schadenfreude and uh you know enjoy a stream with with some of that then come watch me die a whole lot and uh, i will not disappoint anything else that uh you gentlemen want to say before we close up Game over again. No, I just want to say thank you for joining us, Sarah. Also, want to say uh, happy belated birthday. Sorry, I couldn't catch the stream. No, no worries. It was a good stream, though. It was I got to see uh, Airzonk on there? I saw Galaga eighty-eight so far, but I haven't gotten any further just yet. Oh, yeah. Okay, I gotcha. I yeah, know Arizonk was an alright run. I, I think I might have done better if I didn't drink so much beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also uh, want to say thanks for fielding the questions regarding the shmup station that I've been building here. I built a quad monitor station, and I was trying to figure out what I use for Tate, and thanks for the suggestion of the Asus uh, Gamer Republic monitors. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're pretty great. I do need to get a second one to replace my AOC. But, um, yeah, uh, the one millisecond response time is perfect for playing games with razor sharp precision, so. Um, I'm definitely going to, I saw that they had a 1080p version for like 130, which isn't too bad. Well, yeah, that's what I use. I don't use anything more than that. I have no need for it. Um, and then I was trying to get, I hope I'm not peppering you with questions, but I was just trying to get a better idea of what type of consoles you've been dealing with. Because I know you get like a PAL version of a PlayStation 2 and all that stuff. But I I was trying to get a better idea of shmup hardware in general. Is I am getting to the point now with my stuff. I'm like, well, I can buy a 68000 Or I could buy a new car. Or I could buy... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm getting an MSX finally. Thanks to... Uh, um, shoot, I forget his name now. But uh, Sinai Breathments? No, it was... And or Giggity Wing. Giggity Wing. Hey, it's the same guy. Oh, it is? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Man, that guy has good taste. Yeah. He showed me a list of his, uh, or a picture of his setup. He has uh, Space Mambo and all sorts of good stuff for the MSX. But... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. No, he's uh, helped us out, too. Uh, he knew a guy who had a copy of um, Power Strike 2. Oh, very nice. And he, uh, yeah, he basically got that put on hold, and I threw some money at him a bit at a time, and I got Power Strike 2 that way. And very you got nice. Koryun as well. You definitely have yourself a great library of shmups. Oh, it's getting there. Yeah, we just got, of course, that other game, too. Uh, I don't know if you were there for that on the birthday Harmful stream Park. or not, but uh, yeah, we got Harmful Park. Uh, yeah, I got to watch that. I, that was definitely one of totally the games happened. that I love playing on the PSIO. Yeah, that's... Uh, it's definitely a neat game. The mechanics are interesting, but uh, and there's some like neat features for ranking. So you can you, your score will be maintained, but at the end of the uh, the session, it'll show how many times you've continued beside the score. Hmm. Yeah. 
So I, it's definitely something I have to back, go back and revisit. I think it's still on the Japanese PS uh, PSN, right? For like yeah, it's like it's like six dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good way to go about it. Just don't play it on a PlayStation Three. You'll get that nasty input lag. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because of the oh shoot, because it's a download on there. Yep. But if you've got a PSP, I do have a PS. Well, that's the problem with with me is I have more consoles than sense. I mean, I I have. <laughs> mm. No, would, you're telling me like I've got a hundred systems. It's kind of dumb. Well, I I have five um, five Saturns lying around here that and girls are staring at me like, what the heck you doing? Oh yeah. Yeah, I joined the club. I've got uh, three Saturns, five PS2s. <laughs> it's a little dumb. <laughs> the PS2s are kind of necessitated, though. Like, I've got two Japanese ones, two American ones, and a PAL unit. Oh, PAL? Yeah, you got to use it to play all those. Oh, shoot, I forget the name. Uh, Phoenix, isn't it? Uh, Phoenix. Phoenix Games. <laughs> Actually, Gigadewing is the one that sent me that. So, <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I'm trying to think of there. I... That's where I'm trying to find out what I need need out of the hardware. Is like, do I? I know. You, so you definitely need a, PA, a PC engine. Okay, I have a Super Graphics, a Turbo Graphics 16, and a PC Dual. Oh, then you don't need anything more. You've got a Super Graphics. Just get a um, SSD three. Yeah, get the SSD S three. I was looking at grabbing just, that. I have just chuck that on the back of your Super Graphics, and you're good for everything. Yeah. It's, it, my only thing I'm worried about is scratch actually scratching the plastic when putting the SSD three on, and I've heard it can. Ah, uh, you won't. You won't. It. It. it uh, it's uh, the uh, the super graphics is meant to be used with the regular. Well, the uh, the core graphics two interface. So yeah, it'll it'll just slide right on. You have yeah. no no worries there. The one that you do have to worry about is the TurboGrafx sixteen because it's uh, too snug a fit. You have to loosen it mm, okay. uh, a bit in terms of its screws. But yeah, my uh, my friend George, he runs Press Pause Radio. He just chucked it on the back of his Super Graphics, and he's good to go. Hmm. All right. Well, that certainly makes it an easier swallow than damage this four hundred dollar console. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't like wrap around the uh, the bus. It uh, it's made in such a way that it's sort of, like there's a there should be like a bevel around the edge of the uh, of the uh, thirty thirty nine pin bus. Okay. And it, it just sort of goes over the bevel, and that or, and that's it. Like it doesn't scrape against anything at all. Hmm. All right. I well, believe there's cutouts for the uh, for like power and AV as well. So the the ports that are on the the mm-hmm. super graphics are are never covered up. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the ports on there on the super graphics are, it would just be the uh, com- the six pinned in right with the composite and the AV. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then like you can use any nine pinned in from any Genesis too. So that's up to and including RGB. Okay. Yeah, I definitely have some uh, a couple of them that I've got for my Genesis too. That that's the uh, the other thing I was trying to figure. out. So I've got MSX covered. I got Super Graphics, and I might be getting a C64 for you know the best version of 1942. But <laughs> I'm just trying to think: is really then the only thing that's left a um, X68K? Which, I mean, outside of getting the system itself, the games are outrageous. Oh, the games are 250 piece. That's definitely outrageous. And up, yeah. 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 
but, uh, but I was trying to think, is there any other systems on there? I looked at the PCFX, and the PCFX looks to have just one really bad game, and that's all you get with shmups on that one. Well, Zero Igar, yeah? Or Zero Igar? Zero Igar, yeah, that, yeah. That... I mean, the animation looks spectacular, but outside of that, like, I'd still like to play it, but I don't know. I, I'm not in the, really in the market for a super graphics just to play one $600 game. Uh, I would say, like, Neo Geo CD, right? Oh. That's got some good games on it. I actually have one of those. I have that in MVS. Oh, nice. Right on. Um, I missed the boat on Ironclad. Uh, it's a little exorbitant now. It's about a thousand but, bucks, uh, isn't it? Thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, that's something that I, I can't justify in there. I did miss the boat on that as well, but, I, you know, I'm not running a... Uh, I'm not in Canada, and I'm not running a show, so I can uh, yeah. test out a backup. <laughs> but uh, uh, N64. Oh, yep. You gotta have a Japanese N64. I actually found one for thirty-two bucks, so I'll be there. You go. Eventually. Yeah. I've got two U.S. versions. Yeah, the, the Japanese ones aren't terribly expensive. I bought mine for about thirty bucks, and it had the uh, the controller and all the hookups and stuff. But nice. it was like one of the blue ones. Oh, the, is with, it the, the, with the white blue. base, yeah. Very nice. It's, it's a pretty sexy unit, not going to lie. So, like, you know, uh, Bangayo and Sin and Punishment and um, that other one there, Mischief Makers. Those three are must-haves. Yeah, I've got Mischief Makers. Is there any difference between the U.S. to Japanese version, or is it... The title screen. Oh, okay. And more or less, yeah. It's, it's all more or less the same all the way through... Um, yeah. Oh, there's a different voice acting, too, because oh. it's in Japanese. Yeah. Different so. Shake Shake. Yeah, pudding pudding. That's how it sounds. <laughs> and then I, the PS2. I, I'm gonna try and grab a uh, Japanese PS2, but I have a um, test unit, so it's it's not like actually huge on my priority list. Mm, well, if you've got a debug unit, it should allow you to play everything from PAL to uh, NTSC. It does, but the only problem with it is it outputs PAL, which is not my preferred oh, choice. Really? Hmm. And it, then at the same time, though, I mean, uh, the game, the software itself is what uh, what outputs the frame or the uh, um, oh, that does the output. What I'm trying to say, yeah, the output. Like uh, a lot of PAL games actually have a 60 hertz, uh, um, a 60 hertz um, option, like Dragon Blaze, right? Uh, maybe I, I'm thinking more. What what which one had a 60 hertz option? Like Cyveriar has 60 hertz. Oh, okay. For example, yeah. So like you can get a ten a ten dollar copy of Cyveriar Complete for PAL. And it's got sixty hertz out. But yeah, as long as the software supports sixty hertz, it'll output at sixty hertz on a on a PAL PS2. Nice. Alright. So yeah, the only problem I have with those is I was thinking that this thing's now worth a lot of money. Do I wanna do I wanna put it keep putting use on it? So I was thinking maybe going the route with the uh, shared power supply with the PS2 Slim like you've been doing. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to go about it, uh, especially cost-wise, because you can just, you know, grab a single unit and don't have to worry about controllers or, like, inputs or anything like that. You just use what you got. And that's uh, that's kind of how I've gone about it. Like, the second PS2, Japanese PS2 one that I bought there was only, like, 40 bucks. Well, that's not bad at all. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. the controller will double the price because the controllers are still sought after. Yeah, tell me about it. I'm trying to find one for fro right now. All I can find are these third-party junks. Yeah. I, I have an extra it's still sealed I've, I bought it way back in the day when they were clearing out it for five dollars but I need to keep it just in case mine fails because they tend to they, they tend to get gross over time 
Oh, wow. yeah. The amount of stuff I've seen at Goodwill is disgusting. <laughs> I, I mean, I've also, I have five Dreamcast here, and five Wiis, and I have three Xboxes and uh, Jaguar. So I think I got pretty much everything else covered. I'm just trying to think of sh- specifically with shmups on there. Well, Master System is probably a good one to have if you don't already have it. Oh, But then again, though, if you've got a Genesis with um, the Powerbase FM, Powerbase Mini FM, that's all you really need. Actually, I've got both, so I got that that covered on here. I did you actually get the FM power base? Oh, not the. I'm sorry, not the FM. The I have the. Oh, you uh, need to the converter. Got, got to get an FM power base mini. The one I think it, it'll unlock FM sound in uh, cartridges that support it. Uh, Fro's got one of those. I think he got from um, DB Electronics. Yeah. Yeah, I bought one direct. I, uh, I of course, I know Sony, uh, yeah, that's where it, I got Stone mine. Age Gamer is selling them now. Um, but I, I haven't been able to use mine yet, unfortunately, because my primary Genesis unit that I use uh, is yeah, a okay. JVC XI. And apparently the, the Powerbase Mini FM doesn't work with that. Um, so maybe after I move, I'll uh, I'll get my yeah. Model 1 set up and, and use that. But, uh, but I also... Uh, since it sticks out, I bought a cup, I, like a Genesis shell that, um, you know, just a blank shell that I can use to put it in, but um, it sticks out, you know, above where the shell is, so there's a place to slot in your Master System cartridges, and uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't have a Dremel or anything nice to, you know, kind of cut that out, and so I'm, I'm left to, to decide whether I want to try and source one somewhere without having to buy one or just use hobby knives to you know cut out a slot so that that can stick out up over top of the cartridge so i haven't decided yet but yeah once i get my genesis model one hooked up i definitely want to play that because we're talking r type uh fantasy zone um uh what's the other one i've got that has fm sound uh power power strike well, yeah, Power Streak I don't have yet, but uh, no, bo- oh, okay. Bomber Raid I have, and, oh, yeah, and yeah. that supports FM sound, and so... It does. And th- that's one that I've never been able to use with my power-based converter and my Genesis because it doesn't work with the three-button pad. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, you have to have a, a, a master system master pad. System. But yeah. now, thanks to one of our fellow RF Gen members, I've actually got the, uh, the Sega stick, the Sega control oh, yeah. stick, and I have a rapid fire unit that he uh, hooked me up with as well. So thank you nice. to Tin Star for that because now I'll I'll finally be able to properly play um, Bomber Raid. And uh, once I once I get that uh, that Power Base Mini FM fully shelled, then I'll be able to play it in its full glory with uh, FM sound. Need to get Scrambled Spirits too. That's a pretty decent game. Oh yeah, I, I toyed around with that years ago on an emulator, and I thought it was pretty solid. Um, but uh, did I'm trying to remember? Did that get a U.S. release or was it only PAL? It, huh, here's the twist: it got a Canadian release. Oh, that's interesting. But it should work uh, regardless of the system that you put it in, though. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to be on the lookout for that one. I uh, I still need to get Fantasy Zone. For, for Master System. I have got Fantasy Zone 2, but I still don't have the original. 
Yeah, I still need to get both Fantasy Zones on the uh, on the Master System. It's kind of weird, too, because I've got Fantasy Zone 2 on the Famicom and Fantasy Zone 1 for PC Engine. Oh, yeah. See, and that's... I'm kind of the same way. I've got I've had Fantasy Zone for the NES for years, and I got Fantasy Zone for TurboGrafx here uh, earlier in the year. Um, and, oh, yeah, it did come out on TurboGrafx, didn't it? Yeah, and I've got the, the Sega Saturn version, uh, and then, of course, the Sonic's Ultimate Genesis collection, if I remember correctly. Mm. You can unlock the arcade version as yeah. uh, one of the things on there. So I've got multiple versions, but I don't have the kind of the flagship home console <laughs> version, which was the Master the System. The version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'd also like to get the, the Famicom version that Sunsoft did. Um, you know, people like to bag on the, the, the Tengen version or Tengen version of that that came out on the NES, but I still think it's a solid game, even if the even if there are you know, issues with the port. You know, it's still fun to play. Um, yeah, for sure. But the but apparently the Sunsoft Famicom version is superior of the two. So yeah, the uh, the one of um, Fantasy Zone Two that I've got is by Sunsoft as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. They did a port on the NES, didn't they? Yeah. Or the Famicom. Well, Fam- Famicom, at least. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah, that would be interesting to play. Speaking of stuff that gets bagged on a lot, uh, I actually got one of the uh, Neo Geo Minis recently. Oh, nice. Yeah, it uh, it's not as bad as people seem to think. Was that the one that you could fit inside the system? or? Oh, no, that's the Neo Geo X. Oh, okay. No, the uh, the Neo Geo Mini is just like a tiny arcade machine. <laughs> oh, yeah, those little ones that they, they came out with, like, there's a, it's like almost like Pokemon now. There's a red, a green, a Christmas... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. They came out. They came out with those near the end of the year. That's right. Yeah, those look pretty neat. I mean, I know that people are definitely, as you said, bagging on it, but they still look like cool little things to have. It's like a they're f- freaking awesome. <laughs> like mine has all of the gear, the metal slugs up to five, right? Wow. Because metal slug six was a Thomas wave. It wasn't Neo Geo. All right. And um, it's got ghost pilots and last resort. And both shock troopers, which the Japanese one doesn't have that. Uh, the Japanese one actually had more fighting games on it than the North American one. Uh, but it has Twinkle Star sprites, which, you know, might be uh, something that people want more than uh, what's on the U.S. one. But, I mean, you know, the U.S. one also has Goro Mark of the Wolves so and King of Fighters 98. So I'm pretty much set on, the, uh, on that one. Nice. There's a few others like Robo... A robo soldier or something Ro- like that. Oh, Ro- robo army, robo army. That's the right. Yeah, and that one's on there as well. Uh, a couple last played games, a few, uh, a few other Fatal Fury, um, Samurai Showdown, and and all that fun stuff. But uh, yeah, having all the metal slugs is pretty good stuff too. Very cool. That uh, so, I mean, yeah. does that have HDMI output? Then it does. I hear that the the scaling on that the HDMI out is not as good. That it actually looks a lot better on the screen itself. Yeah, I mean, you get, take what you can get, obviously, but you know what? I don't play it with the HDMI out. I just use a little machine. Hmm. Yep, and I've been hearing it's on really great desk. for that. Yeah. yeah, it's super, super crisp on that tiny screen, too. Can't uh, can't exactly complain. Oh, uh, no relation to Neo Geo or anything, but I was wondering for, uh, was it, I almost called it Risky Business, that's not right, uh, Risk System? 
Mm-hmm. Are you looking to cover that anytime soon? Or I got a copy of it. I just need time to do the review. I'm in the middle of sound projects. No worries. I was just wondering, Is it, it sound like a lot of your stuff you're getting a little bit tired because almost everything is the same Damaku or <laughs> yeah. aping everything else. And, I was like, and you seem to have hit your limit with a certain uh, game that ends in engine. <laughs> so I was just a curious. L- a little bit. Andraste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering if something that did have different mechanics where you're actually trying to sort of graze the enemy bullets might be something that was a breath of fresh air for lack of it's better. It's fun. Like, I, I do enjoy what it has to offer. I uh, just need time to record it and, you know, get the specifics down and put the review together. But, yeah, it's it's waiting in the wings. Cool. I look forward to seeing that and along with the FX yeah. Yuki. Oh, yeah. FX Yuki. I, I need to get something to play that Genesis card a little better, though. Um, it's my Genesis. It's a weird thing. Like, the workaround that I found is that I have to turn it on, get a black screen, then turn it off and then back on again really quick. And then, like, half the time it catches. Mm, oh. Yeah, it's... I don't under... There's nothing in there that really stands out, at least to me, that says this requires a Genesis 1. I don't... Yeah, I know. It, it is on the, the purchase page, but I mean, even um, even Sorrow Pro doesn't carry the Genesis version because there are pro- so many problems with compatibility on the cartridge itself. Well, I'm just, I mean, it doesn't seem like that's with the yeah. program. I mean, is that like a Josh Prod mistake, maybe? or It could be. I don't know. But I mean, even so, um, the fact that the creator of the game doesn't sell the game on Genesis cartridges is pretty telling yeah so i mean it is what it is i'll i'll end up getting a retron a mega retron just to check it out right but yeah yeah like i can't justify getting a mega sg for one single game no and even hardcore on there i'm not sure if you look pick that up when that was out there but it'll be interesting to see if that runs into some issues with cart production mm-hmm. yeah or ultra core i'm sorry not hardcore and then ultra core. Sorry, what was that? Ultra core. I was saying that ultra core. I, I said hardcore, but I meant ultra core. I'm not sure if you saw that they they did a Genesis limited run. Oh no, I didn't see that. Yeah, strictly limited did it like uh, two weeks ago. But it, it okay. But anyways, they're doing their own Genesis cart version of it. So I wonder how that's going to come across for compatibility. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Same with Xeno Crisis. Yes. It's got a Mega Drive version as well. I'm getting the Neo Geo CD and Dreamcast versions. Yeah, as soon as I saw that and go for Neo Geo CD and I saw that your goal, I said, all right, that's it. I'm ordering one. <laughs> yeah. So I ordered that. But the interesting thing about the uh, Xenocrisis is that you can actually get the ROM. I'd be curious. to. Str- I have a EverDrive. I'm interested in try it on the EverDrive and just see. Oh, yeah. If it, yeah, that's a that's a good way to do it. I mean, that's it's interesting if uh, if that can be like um, like digital sales for EverDrives. I wonder if that's going to be something that we'll see going forward. I certainly hope so. I, have you heard of Tanglewood? I have. Yeah. If you buy that game with inside the uh, executable and everything else that you download on there is the actual Mega Drive ROM. Oh, that's pretty cool. So you can just extract that and put that on your EverDrive and play it that way. That is not bad. I'm sure um, that new thing that's coming out there, the Mega SD, it's in the same uh, vein as the SSDS3. 
Yes, the one from um, oh shoot, the uh, name's Terranian. Terran, yep. Yeah, that that'll likely have the the kind of compatibility that's needed to play any of those ROMs too. So, are you looking to use that as a Sega CD replacement? I want to because I've got a copy of Ko Flying Squadron that I got from Japan that I'm just itching to play, but I can't get it to go. <laughs> I need a Japanese Mega Drive, but I mean, I asked Terra Onion to see if there was any units. They never got back to me, and um, I mean, for the cost of that, I'll just buy a Mega Drive and a Mega CD. It'll end up costing me less. Oh, less than yeah. I was. It's about what two sixty. It was two hundred and sixty euro. So yeah, the system. That's already like in 260 Canadian dollars can get me both from Japan. And um, the uh, the conversion for the Mega SD would end up being close to $320. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is yeah. close. And since you I can't... Mean, I can, I can get as mm-hmm. good picture. Uh, well, I mean, it's still going to be running off of regular hardware anyway, so... Yeah. <laughs> You know, I've got sure I've got a PAL Mega CD and a PAL Genesis 2, but you know, whatever. <laughs> it's going to cost me. It would cost me. Yeah, it would cost me less just to buy a Mega Drive. Hmm. It, oh, out of curiosity, was that like a Model One or Model Two Mega Drive? Oh yeah, Model Two. Oh, Model Two. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I got M- Model Two Mega CD and Model Two uh, Genesis or uh, Mega Drive rather. I found them locally, strangely enough. Huh. Like, the store, they're like, oh, yeah, no, we just want these boxes. And I'm like, well, what are you doing with the systems? They're like, well, okay, 20 bucks each. And I'm like, all right. Wow, <laughs> 40 wow. bucks for, for Mega CD and Mega, or Mega Drive 2 and Mega CD 2. I cleaned that up something nice, too. I took a great picture of it. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's an incredible yeah. deal. I mean, yeah, I can't really say no to that. And I'm, I thought about it, too. I'm like, well, okay, 40 bucks. I've got 40 bucks. Can I make this worth my while? And then I thought to myself, you know what? Uh, PAL system, it'll uh, it'll run um, that game properly. Um, Power Strike 2. There so if I, do, if I do a review on Power Strike 2, I'll make my money back on that system. Very cool. Yeah, I love the fact that everyone's doing these ODE... Uh, or optical drive emulators, but it. it I mean, it's going to be required yeah. at a certain point. Yeah. Especially like the, as you mentioned with your laser and your duo R, I'm wondering about mine with my duo. I had so many problems with mine, and I sent to the guy who uh, Frank Cifaldi recommended. Oh, it yeah. is. It, he's in uh, Northern Indiana. I'm not, but. Uh, it's just even after a recap on there, he he had to do a bridge because there was a little bit of corrosion, and then he had to play a lot of East Three. He tells me because of the soundtrack on that it helps make sure that the laser is properly calibrated, and so many issues that I had to go with uh, paying them. But I could see why the SSD Three would be cheaper. I, I think it ended up costing me at least 150 on top of the system to get it RGB modded and completely fixed. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, and they're not going to get any cheaper, too. Uh, good to, on you to get the AVS there. He's getting RGB modded Nintendo with the pallet switcher and all that stuff is prohibitively expensive. Yeah, it's getting up there, definitely. That's that's the whole reason I bought the a- AVS as well, just for ease and simplicity on Famicom and, uh, and NES. But even that doesn't have 100% compatibility. 
there's one game that I got from Columbus Circle called Kira Kira Star Night Deluxe. Oh yeah, that's the uh, um, is that the uh, album one or am I think I've heard? No, that that's title. that's Eight Bit Music Power. Oh, but okay. it's by the same guys. Yeah, um, and I think it came out in like 2017 or 2016. This Famicom game, and uh, it says <laughs> says on the page, this might not work on a real system. You might need to have an emulation based system. And I'm like, all right, whatever, right? So, I've got an AVS. And so uh, I tried it in the AVS. Didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work at all. But then I put it into an NES. Sure enough, it worked. Hmm. Uh, that's pretty <laughs> weird. Super ironic. Uh, to get the best picture out of it, I have to put it through the Retron HD. And the colors aren't 100%. But, I mean, you know, it still looks pretty decent. Yeah. Huh. All right. <laughs> Hopefully that Bunny Boy can do an update for that. I know he, he released one, but I don't think it's probably for compatibility. I think it's for uh, video modes, 240p and that type. Oh, okay. I see. Well, I mean, maybe. Sure, someone has to have reported it, right? Well, you would think so, but uh, I don't know. Columbus Circle, I've been hearing some bad things about this stuff, which makes me maybe a little bit glad or lessens the sting that I didn't get into Glaylands there or did oh, and yeah, get yeah. kicked out. So uh, there's a uh, guy who does stuff by uh, Retrocore, yeah, online, and he uh, did a teardown of that cart and said they even have uh, was it beveled edges. Really? Yeah. So uh, it was just doesn't appear to be well made for uh, reproduction cartridge. Well, huh. I wonder if it's like. That's one thing I noticed about the FX Unit Yuki cartridge is that it's solid. It's a solid, dense cartridge. It doesn't feel cheap. Yeah, I haven't had I haven't opened mine and taken a look inside. But I, it's got two EEPROMs in it. Okay. It also has a capacitor. Hmm. And uh, I think there's a resistor in there too. But um, I was kind of surprised to see the two EEPROMs on it. Yeah, I mean. I mean, they did a pretty good job with conversion. What I played, I actually thought it did a fair, pretty good job of recreating what the TurboGrafx-16 original. I think I was most impressed at the sound. The sound sounds... Well, okay, so the PC Engine version obviously has Redbook audio. Mm-hmm. And that is converted and compressed for the Dreamcast version. But, like, the Mega Drive version sounds almost identical. It's pretty huh. impressive. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely a good port. It's just uh, nothing on it screams, hey, you're going to run into trouble here. And he, I could understand it if it was a TMSS issue or something weird like that. But why Genesis 1 versus Genesis 2? But if I knew that, then I guess I could fix a lot more for stuff and should probably work for Pixel Heart. Yeah, I mean... It's not even the first thing, uh, by a long shot, that the Genesis one does better um, than other models. Like uh, RGB is cleaner on some of these units uh, as opposed to uh, Genesis two and Genesis CDX. And then the sound um, variances, yep. Yeah, the sound is a little uh, a little clearer as well. Uh, but like some games run differently too. So like um, Hellfire, Hellfire, for Hellfire. example. Hellfire. Yep. Yeah. The, the music runs at half the speed on the 2 and the CDX, but on the Model 1, it runs at regular speed. 
And you can, and that's one of the features I know with the Mega SG that you can turn that, you have to go in the options and turn that on in order to uh, <clears throat> fix the slowdown on there. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I'm most concerned about the Mega SG though is that uh, the BIOS, I'm pretty sure, is still under copyright. Oh, oh yeah. okay. So, yeah. unlike the PC Engine where you can use a system card or dump a system card, you. You right. have to download the the BIOS for the Sega CD, and that's that's a tricky legality. Especially for your type of situation, I can understand mm. that. Yeah, you could use the universal ones, which is the main reason why I have the the EverDrive, is so that way I could load a universal BIOS for my uh, uh, Sega CD two, and then just yeah. play imports that way. But it, that's that's still a, a very tricky legality. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think a um, a Mega Drive two and Mega CD from Japan is incoming soon. I look forward to seeing it cleaned up and seeing some nice shots of it. Just to play Kale. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Kale, I know that the uh, PAL version you could always get the the demo version from the PAL, but that's even that's expensive. It's like five or six hundred dollars. No, I paid a hundred. I paid a hundred dollars for mine. <laughs> That's pretty good compared to what the other ones are. Well, yeah, I'm not paying fifteen hundred dollars for something that I can buy for a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> What's a little bit of Japanese? I can read that, sure. <laughs> and the intro for that game in English is just oh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, see, the I'm sure the VO is much better delivered on the uh, the Mega Drive or the Mega CD version. So, uh, and then try no, the second one's not a shooter; it's uh, more of an action platformer. Yeah, it's got shooting elements. I do want to get that one because it looks freaking phenomenal, but um, it's creeping. It's creeping up. Yeah. i got to get on that soonish. I, if I had a dollar for how many times I said that regarding a uh, shmup. Uh, I, I guess <laughs> just how it is. Yeah, I guess somehow something tells me that the rating 5, even though I don't really want to buy rating 5 for the Switch, that will start going up in price. I don't know that it will. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's limited physical quantities, though, is what they're saying. So, who knows? Yeah, it's what they're saying. But, I mean, it's not like Raiden 5 is a great game. Oh, th that story, though, with the coffee on there, there. We had a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. Coffee and crystals. You uh, know, thanks to Giggity Wing, I've got the complete um, Raiden series now. Oh, nice. That's true. Um, he he uh, donated a copy of... Um, the Raiden Project for Japanese PlayStation. Oh, very nice. And I bought DX not long ago. Of course, I had 3 and 4 in Raiden Fighters Aces, and then, of course, 5 for the PlayStation, well, the PlayStation 2, the Xbox 360, and the PlayStation 4, respectively. And, you know, Raiden 5 Overkill. I just bought that today on Steam, or yesterday on Steam, for like 2 bucks. Oh, yeah, Raiden 4 Overkill. Yeah. And, like, Raiden Legacy is on there, too. Not a great port, but, I mean, you know, grab yourself some Raiden Fighters and uh, Raiden 1 for PC for, like, $1.70. Right. How could it... It's totally <laughs> worth $1.70. <laughs> sure. No question. Yeah, I I'm glad I got Raiden Fighters Aces when I did. Yeah. Uh, when it was still relatively cheap for the 360, so... I actually have duplicates of every uh, North American shoot 'em up for Xbox 360. Wow. Yeah. 
I don't know why I, I amassed them all, but I did. Well, definitely keep a hold of those. That Riding Fighters Aces is going up. Yeah. And then the uh, the Riding Four. I'm seeing that go up slowly, but mine has the soundtrack CD twice. So that's oh, the nice. version that's worth. All, yeah, that I keep yeah. seeing going up. I found that at a GameStop. About like thirty miles away from me last October, I said I'm driving. <laughs> there was a time uh, we could get copies of Akai Katana and uh, Otomadius for like pocket change. Mm. O- Otomadius Excellent was at our Dollarama stores. Wow! Oh, wow! Yeah, three bucks. And then Akai Katana was five dollars at Giant Tiger, which is like a discount department store up here in Canada. Yeah, hmm. the cheapest I think I've ever been able to score anything is I, and I know that Guru knows this. I scored a cartridge only Musha for five bucks. Oh yes. And then a uh, complete in box Arrow Fighters for six. That was the luckiest I ever got. It's ridiculous. Wait, the Super Nintendo Arrow Fighters? Yeah, the Super Nintendo Arrow Fighters. As ah, we can't be friends. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, forget I said that then. <laughs> I do want to get the uh, Japanese version, though. Sonic Wings. So, yeah, th- um, there's no difference yeah. in it. It's just a name. No, no. Uh, plus, like, all of my other ones are Sonic Wings as well. Like, I've got Sonic Wings 2 and 3 on the Neo Geo CD. Oh, those are nice copies. I would, They're nice, yeah. I would definitely want to have that. Um, they were not expensive. I, I did do most of my Neo Geo at a good time, but uh, the rest of them I've sort of lost track of. Hmm. Yeah. I'm missing three. The, the, yeah, the Neo Geo CD stuff is creeping up there. I mean, it's not unexpected, but it's definitely higher than I expected it to be. Uh, it kind of sucks that uh, that uh, Ironclad has gone up to thousand dollars status when it was for four hundred dollars for so long. Like, I've spent way more than that on other things. Yeah, I spent 400 This is back in 2000, but I spent 400 bucks on uh, Eco Fighters for the uh, CPS2. CPS2, yeah. And that that was so I could get added into MAME. And that now on. Suicide Board. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, and I spent 125 bucks in 2000 on a In the Hunt cabinet. The prices oh, nice. on it now are just ridiculous. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Uh, I guess, like, I spent 375 on it, but I got a copy, of, like, a legit copy of Sapphire. Oh, yeah, you were playing that not too yeah. long ago. It looks really neat. I wish I could chance I to mean, try yeah, it. I mean, yeah, for an 8-bit game. And I just can't. The arc- Finding an arcade card and then finding a copy of the game, it's like, what, uh, 2300 if not more? Thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, my wife will love that. I I, I can't do the round. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could always just go the PSP route. Oh, that's right. There's that PSP title on there. That's that's about eighty, isn't there? Something like that, or maybe it's less than the that. Ginga Ojo Sama. Yeah, it's three of them. It's like Hudson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is it? Galaxy Fraulein Yuna, Galaxy Fraulein Yuna Two, and then Ginga uh, Forget and the Sapphire. Um, it's, I think it's over. It's up there. It's, it's about two hundred dollars Canadian now. Well, it's still better than twenty. It has been for a while, anyways. I don't know. It, it was when I bought it. And then trying to find a legit copy of the Sapphire has been troublesome because I've heard that the guy who does the um, PC Genjinware and what's the word I'm looking for the reproductions, the guy who did that, 
PCE works, yeah. Yeah, PCE works. I've, now, I never heard this confirmed, but I've heard rumors that he got a lot of his startup money for doing repros of Sapphire and saying that they he had the authorized right to do so when he did not. <laughs> yeah, no, he did, he obviously didn't. <laughs> so those are just rumors I've heard, but whether, I don't know. It could be some the, salty people. The, the most prevalent rumor that I ever heard about Sapphire was that the uh, Care4 Data versions, mm-hmm. the, the infamous bootlegs from the 90s, uh, that those there were actually supposed to be a second print for Sapphire back when it was like a, a normal thing. Hmm. Um, but man, it's, it's sort of reflected in the quality of it. Um, but I mean, there's other things on it too that sort of prevent me from believing that. Like the uh, the outer ring, for example, on the the label side of the disc, is just like ridiculously thick, and it's got that dumb barcode on the bottom. Um, that that to me just says that yeah, it was meant to just look the part and uh, to be pawned off, you know, as as expensively yeah. as possible. But it's weird though because those are still commanding like a two three hundred dollar price tag. It, <laughs> it blows my mind that a bootleg can be that expensive. Yeah, I don't, it's sort of the same feeling I have with Glaylancer, even though it's an authorized bootleg. It's sort of like, okay, so people are trying to sell them for 200 bucks. For 250 I can buy an original cartridge. Yeah, exactly. I don't I don't know. No Prices don't make sense. I mean, look at Coriune. It's a good game, but it's not $400 for a cart good. Yeah, I have spent 680 on mine. Jeez, yeah, that's more than I want to spend. Or... That was like a perfect storm, though. I had some decent sound design money, plus my birthday, plus my, uh, <laughs> like, a significant pay because of a holiday or something like that. So, yeah, it, uh, it all came together to pr- to allow me to buy it, but I kind of regret buying it. Is that just because it's... Uh, it's baby's first yeah. shmup, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to play it so but Like, I remember when it was only $200, and I say only $200, like, it's... Like, it's a thing. <laughs> but, uh, like, I remember wanting to play it so badly because it did remind me so much of Airzonk, which is my all-time favorite shoot-em-up. And, you know, it definitely yeah. looks and sounds the part, but, man, is it easy. I got the 1cc on stream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very much just collect the fruit and you'll never die. Yeah, pretty much. But, I don't know, but I mean, I'll, if one thing though, you're probably if you ever decide to sell it, you'll get what you what you paid for it, and probably some yeah. more. I mean, as long as the the way I see it is that one of two things are going to happen: one, the bubble's never going to burst, and I'll have just a ridiculous amount of money, right, buy a house or mm-hmm. whatever. Or two, the bubble will burst, and I'll be able to get everything else for nothing for next to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then you have all these recently all these people who are into comics are starting to smell blood in the water so they're coming over and trying to buy all these games and get at them <clears throat> say oh look at this this Mario sealed has a sticker on it which means it was from the first original run in New York and so that way it's worth a hundred thousand versus a f- yeah and you know I think that's what's uh, what's ruining retro gaming um is that people are looking at gaming as an investment now rather than just a hobby? Like, I I went into shoot 'em ups not for review purposes. <laughs> I I made Bullet Heaven as a vlog. It was only supposed to be a five minute thing showing off a bunch of games that I liked playing. That's all it was. 
And now look what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. uh, It it really bothers me when people say, Oh, this game is so valuable. Look at this game. I bought it for like $3, but it's worth $500. I've got such a return on this. So, yeah. (laughs) When... Yeah, your when, when it turns into an investment, there's no there's there's no fun in that. Where's the fun in that? Like people VGA grading these games, putting them in plastic tombs, never to be opened or played or enjoyed. They're just they're shelf fodder or like wall plaster or whatever, right? Yep. Like I I can't wrap my head around that. Granted, I've got games that are over a decade old at this point, like 12, 13 years old, right? That are still sealed, but not because I want them to appreciate in value. It's just that I never got the time to play them. Oh, the same thing happened to me with I picked up a copy of Rule of Rose on the day it came out. And it just it sat there and sat there. I'm like, I'll get to this. I'll get to this. And here it is years later and still sealed. At this point, I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just load it up on my um, free Mac boot and try it out at this point. Um, I'll tell you guys what though. Um, with the the Sega Dreamcast, for example, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, we're doing the uh, the STG Chronicles. Um, along the way, I actually did manage to secure. Uh, I want to say now four or five uh, Dreamcast shooters that are still sealed. And some of them are pretty heavy hitters, actually. Uh, I've got a a sealed copy of Chaos Fields for the Dreamcast. That's definitely a heavy hitter. And a sealed copy of uh, Castle Shikigami 2 Limited Edition. Oh. Oh, wow. Weren't you talking about doing an unboxing of that on the stream, maybe? Uh, Not on the stream, but the the STG Chronicles are going to have a slightly different format because they'll be unsealed on uh, on the episode. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Cool. So, and uh, same thing, like, I got a copy of Charge and Blast sealed out of uh, the UK for $12. Oh, wow. Right? Um, there was a copy of Ducks 1.0 that I still have sealed that I got out of Germany for something along the lines of $20. Like, I, I managed to get the deals on these games. It was pretty crazy. Uh, and I did it all on eBay somehow. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. So, all of these games, too, no joke. Um, these games were all lowest price. So I was getting sealed copies of games where others were, you know, $30, $40, higher in price, but they were open. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's e- eBay can be so weird on there. You got everybody's going like, oh, this game's worth 50 this game's worth 50 and then there's like one person like, I don't care, I want this gone, and it'll be so much cheaper on there. That's, I mean, it's a great line of the games. I thought you were going to say Border Down. If you said Border Down, I feel like I missed out on a really good cut deal there. <laughs> Uh, I think they only paid two hundred for that one. No, which was two hundred sounds was, nice. Yeah, this was back in twenty fourteen though. I got it at PAX. Oh, okay. From, from Pink Gorilla. It, oh yeah, the um yeah. the liquid the what the heck do I want? They're doing a bunch of Twitch liquidations now. Are they? Yeah, the, the like uh, Cody will hop on and sometime then there'll be a. Here's a bunch of stuff we want to get rid of. You know, who wants to bid for this? And then they will uh, ship it out. I'm not That's sure. kind of neat. Yeah, I'm not sure if they've done it any time this, this month, but they were doing it a couple months ago. Hmm. And, there, and then... Uh, There's precious little I'm looking for on Dreamcast these days. Yeah, you only need can spike USA, right? 
Well, uh, there's five games actually on the U.S. side of things. I've got them all except for Sega Gaga on, on the Japanese side. I found out that there was actually a, a sequence in Sega Gaga that has a uh, uh, shoot 'em up segment. So hmm. I need to get that, and I'm thinking I'm gonna have to try to get the collector's edition if I can. Yeah, that's. Pro- I imagine that's probably at least a couple hundred there. Yeah, it's a couple hundred bucks. It shouldn't be too bad. No. I mean, compared to all the rest of the stuff on there. And then Ken Spike, you know Greg from uh, Player One Podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. I do, actually. Um, so, yeah, I'll see I'll see if he still has it. Um, I have to send him an email tomorrow anyway. Because he's, uh, he's my client, actually. Turns out. And he works for Amazon doing games, doesn't he? So you do. No. No? no he works, uh, works for a, a firm in town called Red Space. Oh, okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought that he had worked for Amazon. Oh, well. I think he lives in my town, too, so. Yeah, what, um, not, not... You guys, are you guys talking about Greg Seward? Yeah. 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 Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Greg Stewart. I'm trying to think of where the heck he, I don't think it's how, maybe? <sighs> well, Halifax is a... Yeah, Halifax Regional Municipality. Yeah, Regional okay. Area. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to... <sighs> Think he said where before I just can't remember on, off the top of my head. Oh well, uh, it's either Dartmouth or Bedford or Sackville, one of the three. Seems like a great I'm guy in, to work. I'm with. in I'm in Bagtown. <laughs> Bagtown. Bagtown. Bagtown, Nova Scotia. <laughs> that's uh, that's what we call it here in uh, like our town is Sackville. We're we're actually in Lower Sackville, as it turns out, uh, just below Beaver Bank. <laughs> there is also a middle sackful and upper sackful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Geez. Yeah. Uh, also, just north of Bedford, so it all goes together really well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heck yes! <laughs> uh, and you know what's not too far away, right? Fairview. <laughs> Fair view of Lower Sackville, huh? Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lower Bagtown. Oh, oh uh, one thing I wanted to mention real quick is that last time we was on sale, both uh, Fro and I picked up Blackbird. So when we decide to head into there, we'll definitely hit you up if you're all for it. For Blackbird? Black, yeah, I thought the Blackbird was one of your favorite schmucks. Oh, yeah, it was definitely one of the better ones of 2018. And there it was. Looks very similar to uh, Fantasy Zone. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a lot like Fantasy Zone actually, in, in quite a lot of ways. There's no shop though, but uh, it's got a neat level up system. I haven't. I, honestly, I think I watched your review on it, but I can't remember any of it. Sorry, I know this sounds like we're in endorsement there. <laughs> no, the big takeaway is the music though. Well, that music that it, yeah. The soundtrack yeah. in that game is off the wall crazy. It's so good. I think I remember an accordion or something being used in there. Yeah, yeah, or like a melodica. Oh yeah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, uh, you've already did, you've done uh, Battle Mania, haven't you already? Uh, the first one, yeah. First one, AKA okay. Troubleshooter. Shooter. Yep. Okay. I, I got that on eBay for a dollar. Wow. No manual, but still. Yeah, even if it was cartridge only, it'd be worth it. Yeah, but this was also ten years ago. Oh yeah, ten years ago, everyone was like, "These Nintendo tapes aren't worth anything." Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. 
Now, and you, I mentioned that, or not mentioned, I, I remember hearing that you picked up Thunder Force 3 for like four bucks or something like that, complete in box. Yeah, same with uh, like uh, Air, uh, Air Buster and uh, Thunder Force 2, Rocket Knight Adventures. All wow. really good stuff. They had Gauntlet 4. I wish I had gotten oh. that. Oh, Gauntlet wow. 4, M2's yeah. first game. Like knowing what I know now, should have got it. And then Aeroblaster for the Genesis had a glove that came with it, if I remember correctly. Yes. <laughs> yes, Airbuster. The, Air the neoprene Kaneko gaming gloves. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And, yeah. oh, and then, then the, of course, the infamous Guy Ares shirt, or Guy Aras. Can you say Guy Aras? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that guy's mullet is legendary. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, unfortunately, my copy of Airbuster I only acquired here about three years ago, and it was like fifty dollars plus for box and cart. Ouch. I still don't have the manual. Ouch! Yeah, it was like the manual 54. has freaking awesome art on it. Though, let me tell you. Yeah, it was like fifty-four dollars for cart and box. Unbelievable. Yeah, but that's that's uh, shoot 'em ups for you. Hmm. Mm. Oh, what was the Genesis game that I wanted to get there? Um, what was it? Not uh, not Biohazard Battle. Somehow I managed to get two copies of that. Um, so I'm trading if someone wants it. But uh, what am I trying to say here? Like Grindstormer is one of them, I suppose. But uh, there were oh. a couple of other ones that I really wanted to get on the Genesis. Was, that, and I was Grindstormer <laughs> VV or was it the 5 VVVV? VV, yeah. Uh, VV. It's actually V5. V5. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I um, saw somebody selling a Japanese copy of that. I think it was like 75 bucks. Yeah, it's not very expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I ever got into Japanese Mega Drive, I would not buy anything with uh, with box and manual. I'd just buy the cartridges. Save myself a ton of money. Yeah. Makes sense. I was, yeah, I picked up... Um, but I mean, zeroing from the same place I got the Musha, and it was also five bucks. But they it, look so good, though. Card only. Those oh, spines are amazing. There's a big chunky freaking katakana on the side. Oh, so good. Mm. So good. Can't really say no to that now. I guess I'm I'm doomed. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's like the Super Famicom. I've got a hundred percent box with manual, right? Just by luck. So I can't wow. break the streak now. I can't just go out and buy, oh, yeah, you know, Flying Hero, 30 bucks. No, no, I can't do that. Now I have to look for a box and my, oh, 200 bucks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's definitely Chris here. I'm trying to face that same dilemma with my PC, uh, yeah. PC Engine stuff. I've got a couple of them that are um, Hue card only, and then most of them are, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, not in, in case. Incomplete, yeah, like boxes, yeah, well, manualists, whatever. You're like, I wish I had the sense to buy a Hue card only before I would have cared about it. If even I had bought one game that was Hue card only, I don't think I would have cared. But you know what? It's 100%. Box manual, etc. Yeah. Um, uh. Just don't 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 go the ra- down the rabbit hole of TurboGrafx-16 with the outer box. Oh, heck no. That's the irony of it all, too. <laughs> most of my most of my TurboGrafx 16s have has the outer box. Seriously, wow. Yeah, yeah. Most of like the vast majority of it. It's pretty crazy. Did I tell you the story of my TurboGrafx 16? I don't know if you did. Okay, so the year is 2000 
5. And the PlayStation Portable has just come out. And so... My manager at the time at the call center that I worked at was like, Man, I really want a PSP. And I'm like, I'll tell you what. I will buy you a PSP if I can have you TurboGrafx-16 stuff, right? I didn't know what I was getting into. He's like, sure. I'm like, cool. 400 bucks, right? I ended up getting two hard shell cases, the Turbo, the CD unit, CD interface, two controller extenders, five controllers, arcade stick, and 30 games. Whoa! But it doesn't end there. Boxed Turbo Booster and Boxed Turbo Express. Good grief. You know who won that deal. Even if it had come without games, you would still made out. (laughs) Now, the CD unit ended up giving out on me. Um, but I ended up selling that for 90 bucks. And then I got, uh, I sold my Turbo Express for 300 and then I sold my Turbo Booster for 200 So I made all of my money back. Wow. I wish they, I wish they had deals like these. <laughs> Still, I know that you got Doesn't some great deals. Yet. But that's yeah, like but, 15 yeah. years ago now, right? So. Yeah, I mean, I, I got my Turbo Graphics in... Oh, probably 2006, maybe. Yeah. And I I want to say I paid something like 70 or $80 for just the Turbo Graphics mm-hmm. and um, one controller, power supply, uh, RF unit, and uh, a small handful of games. You know, I got Keith Courage. I got... Uh, New Adventure Island. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Bonk's Adventure and Bonk's Revenge and Legendary Axe. And then, what is it, TV Sports Football, maybe? Or TV Sports Basketball, I don't remember which. Um, and then a few years later, I bought a a loose Turbo Booster for, I think, $35. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway... Yeah, I, I, I've picked up a handful of games over the years. I haven't bought a lot, but here over the last, over the last year, I've, I've picked up a handful of, of shmups and got decent deals on some in pretty good condition, like Fantasy Zone, um, Psychosis, I think. Yeah. Um, what's the other one? Um, Superstar Soldier and uh, a couple of others. And so they're, you know, they're not, the pricing on those yet right now still isn't completely terrible for for US releases. I mean there are a handful of US games that are ridiculous, but you get that with almost anything. You know what's really expensive for some reason? Like TurboGrafx 16 Bomberman. Oh yes. $200? $230? What? I don't even understand that. Yeah. Well, especially because it was included as a bonus in the disc that came with the Turbo Duo. Oh, yeah. That's right. You know, because that came with that that combo disc that was like, mm-hmm. it was like, it was two discs or something like that, and it was like Ease 1 and 2, I think, and then it also had Gates and Lords of Thunder, and then also Bomberman and Bonk's Adventure on the one yeah. disc as like bonuses or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I Man. thought it was, um, was the, um, what the heck is it? There's two versions of it. One had, I think, unlocked, and the one didn't. 
There's mm. a three and one that you got from there. You had Bonk. Uh, it's not Lords of Thunder, Winds of Thunder. It's Gate of Thunder, I think. Is okay, so it's just Gate of Thunder. Gate of Thunder. And then there was a third game whose name is escaping me. But I think they re-released it and then added another one to mm. add to Bomberman. It's like just uh, you didn't have to unlock it. Oh, interesting. But, uh, yeah, I'd have to look it up. But the I know what you're talking about in there with... Yeah, Bomberman, Bomberman 93 is technically the better game. I don't know why Bomberman... Oh, well. Yeah, Bomberman 93 is like five or 600 bucks, too. Oh, well. Great. <laughs> Unless you buy the Japanese version for $30. Like, <laughs> Wow. Yeah, and then Bomberman 94, you can even find for che- cheaper. Better, I think yeah. I got mine for like 8 bucks or something it's like that. It's good, too. It's so good. Oh, my God, it's good. That is de- yeah, it's definitely a, g- a good game to have in there. Ah, uh, what was I going to say about that though? Um, one game that you definitely need for TurboGrafx sixteen is Crater Maze. Oh yes, uh, that was um, oh what was that? That was a, a Doraemon game, wasn't it? Kind of. It's not. I mean, it's not the same game. <laughs> oh, it's not. No, it's, it's vastly different between the two. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, hugely different. Um, the one that is... It's available on the Wii... Or the Sorry, the Switch uh, as a hamster arcade archives called oh. uh, Hore Hore, uh, Kids No Hore Hore or Hore Hore uh, Daisakusen or something like that. Kid No Hore Hore Daisakusen. I think that's what it is. Uh, anyways, the uh, that's the arcade version of it by Nichibutsu. And... Um, you can get that for like eight bucks or whatever, but it's it's way harder than the TurboGrafx 16 version. It's the TurboGrafx 16 version is actually playable, um, but yeah, I definitely huh. I definitely get that one if you can. Crater Maze, it's so good. I love that game so much. Yeah, because Crater Maze is uh, is like a trap 'em up, isn't it? Sort of, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they play similarly, but like the the graphics and the uh, sound and the the story is totally different between the two. Sure. So I do prefer the TurboGrafx 16 version soundtrack to the to the Doraemon one for sure. For sure, hmm. um, it's one of those uh, rare games that I can just sit down and play all the way through without stopping. Wow, something like I don't know how many stages there are, but the, it took me a long time to get through the, the Doraemon one. People were getting bored at the end of the stream. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fun game though. Like, uh, yeah, definitely track that one down for sure. Arrow Blasters, that's a great one too. Yes, oh. that's the other one I have. What I about think- Airzonk? CD or Hue Card? Hue Card, for sure. Hue Card, okay. For sure, don't get the CD one. Yeah, the CD one, they messed with the soundtrack, so I was wondering if it... Oh, it's a think- totally different game, though. Is it? Okay. Yeah, I- yeah the second one is, is called Rockabilly Paradise, and it uses a Rockabilly soundtrack. Uh, but this, the power-up system is really weird, too. Uh, you can't just sort of mix and match your friends, and you don't have a ton of different weapons. You just kind of have, um, you know, you have Zonk, and then he can, I think you can maybe power up your weapon a little bit. And then you can combine with your friend, and that's pretty much it. Like, it doesn't drop mm-hmm. a power-up that you can just, like, use and charge. So, yeah, the system is better in the first game. The visuals are better in the first game. Even the soundtrack really is better in the first game. Hmm. So yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really bother with uh, with the second one, to be totally honest. 
Alright, yeah, I'll see if I can track down maybe a PC Hue card. Yeah, it's oh. less expensive than, you know, Arizonk, as it were. It's called PC Dungeon. Right, it makes fun of the uh, the other first one was um, PC. Oh shoot, I'm, I can't remember. Genjin. They're all plays, plays and words. Yeah, yeah. PC Genjin. Uh, the, looking you, uh, at the Genjin means caveman. Caveman. Yep. And uh, the den in Denjin is a reference to electricity, so cyborg. Well, yeah, all these puns within there. Uh, Within these games, I quickly looked up the four and one. The four one has Bonx Adventure, Bonx Revenge, Gate of Thunder, and Bomberman. So the three and one had, of course, Bonk Bonk and Gate of Thunder. Okay, I need to get Gate of Thunder and Winds of Thunder. Oh, Winds of Thunder! And I just the soundtrack alone on that, and the uh, everyone everyone keeps telling me that. The uh, U.S. version of it, if you look online, you can find a, uh advertisement for it that was edited by Tony Hawk. What, really? Yeah, huh. uh, My Life in Gaming brought that to everyone's attention. There's an, If you search for it, you can find like Tony Hawk and um, not, uh, Lords of Thunder. Nice. That's cool. Well, it's something you don't hear about every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, PC, oh jeez, the PC engine is just a dream for schmops. It's something that I could continuously collect for. I've already, I mean, this year I already found Macross 2036 and had a chance to try that. Pretty good game. Uh, not not Airzonk level for sure, but it's still fun. And then you you were playing Rekka, I remember, sir. And then you have, uh, what's the, Nexer? Do you have Nexer? I don't have Nexer. That's one that I've wanted to get. I there was a time where I wanted to get all of the Summer Carnival games, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, uh, I stopped short of uh, Alzadik and um, well Spriggan as well. But I got Spriggan recently. Yeah, I saw that uh, in the stream. That looked pretty good. That was was that the right version? Yeah, I mean it was okay. it was legit. Got it for forty bucks. Not wow. bad at all. So. Yeah, I ended up finding a good deal on Alzadek. I got that for I think sixty-five bucks. Yeah, it was really cheap for a while there. But then, and then of course, you see all like half of these things now are even Darius. If you look on there, they're all the PCE works. You look, hey, it's sealed, brand new. Get it? You look, it's like, oh, it says PCE works on it. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they just bootleg. Everything. I mean, even like Darius, you can get that game for thirty bucks. Why would you buy a reproduction? Uh, I don't know. I'm not the target audience, I guess. 